are on air for Fan for Racing's NASCAR Race Review with Hot Topic Sound Off. And this week we are reviewing races at Atlanta, Knoxville, and Elko. Three tracks, uh, a lot of racing this weekend. And joining me shortly will be our co-host, Sal Sigala. Uh, and while we're waiting for him, I'm going to go through our agenda for tonight. We're going to uh, spend 15 minutes on the Arkham Art Series at Elko, uh, and hopefully we'll, that will leave us enough time to do a few brief updates on the Arca East and Arca West Series. Uh, then we'll do another 15 minutes on the Truck Series at Knoxville. Wish we had more time for the Knoxville race because uh, a lot happened there. Uh, and I'm sure that that will come up in Hot Topics tonight as well. And then 15 minutes on the Xfinity Series at Atlanta and another 15 minutes on the NASCAR Cup Series at Atlanta. That takes us through the first hour of tonight's show. Starting at 9.30, we'll have our NASCAR Hot Topics sound off with the Fan for Racing crew. And I'm not sure... Uh, I know Jay is coming. I'm not sure who that third party is going to be just yet, but uh, I'm sure, I am sure that we're going to have a lot to talk about. So uh, stay tuned for Hot Topic Sound Off tonight at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. All right. Uh, we'll go ahead and get into the Arkham Menard series. Uh, this was quite a race, and uh, we may talk about this on Hot Topics as well. Uh, Corey Heim, uh, won the race, and uh, afterwards he indicated that uh, he had an explanation for the way he won the race, uh, which was the bump and run, uh, as retaliation for how he was being raced throughout the race. Ty Gibbs did not dispute it, uh, did not have any problem with it, so uh, I think we'll probably see more of that as time goes on. Um, and we'll see how that plays out. So, again, more on that specific topic on our Hot Topic Sound Off at 930. Uh, but uh, Corey Hine, uh now has five wins. Or, no, I think it's Ty Gibbs who has the five wins. But, uh, anyway, these two are the two to watch in the Arkham Menard series. Uh, and that was no different in the Menards 250 at Elko Speedway this past weekend. Um, Corey Heim was not thinking about uh, uh, the ongoing Arkham Menard Series championship battle between himself and Ty Gibbs as he raced in the closing laps of Saturday night's race. He was thinking about revenge and what the 19-year-old from Marietta, Georgia, described as retaliation for his rival's aggressive driving earlier in the event on the 3.8 mile paved oval. Heim, who restarted third with three laps to go in the wake of a late caution, nudged the race leader Ty Gibbs out of the way on the evening's final drop of the green flag. The pilot of the number 20 Craftsman's Toyota for Venturini Motorsports assumed the lead and proceeded to coast to his fourth win of the 2021 season. Uh, and his comments afterwards were as follows. Uh, we also have a couple of dents on the left rear, the left side door, the left front. I responded to his post-race interview when asked about the damage on his car sustained in the incident with Gibbs. It's all from Gibbs as well. 
and I think that pretty much evens things up right there. He probably he's probably mad because he lost like he usually is. So there's a little bit of rivalry going on here. That's obvious. Uh, but, uh, it's it's the manner in which they're racing one another uh, that I think is going to be uh, an interesting conversation later on. Now, a lot of people don't have a problem with the bump and run. They think it's all part of racing. Uh, and my question is, uh, are we looking for uh, to encourage uh, drivers' talent or are we looking to encourage drivers to win by bumping a competitor out of the way? Um, and my feeling is that I'm looking for drivers to show their talent on the track and figure out a way to pass that driver, whether it's through strategy uh, or just pure racing that competitor with respect on the track. Um, I think racing with respect on the track is a better role model than the bump and run. Uh, that's just my personal perspective, uh, but it'll be interesting to see what happens later. Now, if somebody does it to you, that person's got to expect it to be done back to them. So I'm going to put that in there as well. If you race that way, you've got to expect it to come back to you at some point, and that's what I think happened this weekend. So Corey Heim uh, gets this uh, particular victory, and uh, it was also – Part of the Sioux Chief Showdown uh, competition this week as well. Uh, but let's take a look at the uh, race results first here for the uh, Menards 250 at Elko. Uh, I'm not sure where, where Sal is, uh, but hopefully he'll be here shortly. So race results. Uh, we have Corey Heim in taking the first spot followed by uh, Jesse Love, Trotter in third. So that's a one, two, three for Venturini Motorsports. Uh, Ty Gibbs, Gibbs ended up finishing in fourth place, followed by Taylor Gray to round out the top five. The next five drivers were Nick Sanchez, Daniel Dye, Willie Mullins, Thad Moffitt, and Adam Lemke. Uh, so... Uh, you had uh, four drivers that had issues. Brad Smith had problems with the transmission. Dick Dohaney had a vibration that took him out. Uh, Owen Smith had problems with the clutch. And Wayne Peterson with his brakes. Uh, and that happened fairly quick. So he was out of the race pretty early. So that is the finishing results uh, for the Menards 250 this weekend at Elko. It's a small, it's a short track. So uh, a lot of these drivers uh, have short tempers on a short track. Uh, this is a really short track. It's three-eighths of a mile. So uh, it's less than a half mile, if that gives you any indication. All right, uh, still waiting for Sal, so I'm going to go ahead and go through the standings here. Corey Heim uh, is your series points leader. He came in three points uh, ahead of Ty Gibbs. He extended his lead to seven points over Ty Gibbs. Uh, and, again, these are the two drivers that you want to watch in this. Uh, Corey Heim has an average start of 4.1, an average finish of 2.2. Ty Gibbs has the 2.4 average start 
with a 4.7 average finish. Now, uh, Ty Gibbs has the five wins uh, in the nine starts so far this season, and Corey Heim has four wins on the nine starts this season. Uh, they both have eight top fives, but Corey Heim has, uh, uh, has the one more top ten with nine over Ty Gibbs' eight. Also, Corey Heim has the one pole award to Ty Gibbs' five pole awards. Uh, so that gives you a little bit of an idea of the differences between the two drivers. Now, these other guys are going to be racing for position as uh, the series continues. Bad Moppick is currently in third place. Nick Sanchez in, ninth, in uh, fourth place. Those four drivers have raced all nine events. Drew Dollar has seven of those nine events. He's in fifth place. Um, so that is your top five here in the Arkham Knight series. So taking a check to see if Sal's here yet, and he is not. So let's go ahead and take a look next at the Sioux Chief Showdown because this was also a Sioux Chief Showdown event, the third event of 10 for the series this year. Uh, and I think I've got the wrong standings here, so let me go back and try this again for the Sioux Chief Showdown. Here we go. Okay, now in the Sioux Chief Showdown, it changes just a little bit. Three of them, uh, Ty Gibbs is the leader here, uh, and he has a lead by four points. Uh, 126 over 122. Uh, he has the two wins uh, to Corey Heim's one win. And uh, Nick Sanchez sits in third place, 118 points, followed by Dad Moffat at 115, and Brad Smith uh, at 91. The only other driver competing in all three wins is Owen Smith, and he sits at 88 points. So it's, a, it's in reverse for the Sushi Showdown. Ty Gibbs has the lead there uh, by four points. And uh, it will be interesting to see how all of this does play out. Now, joining me now is our co-host, Sal Spagala. Uh I'm glad you can make it, Sal. Oh, thank you, Sharon. I'm sorry I'm late. I, I wasn't so, Anyways, I'm here, so... Okay, yes, we're happy to have you here. Um, okay. So I've gone through the Arkham Menard series uh, and the race at Elko. Was there, did you get a chance to see it, Sal? Yeah, actually I did. What were your thoughts that about that race? Oh, man, it was great. I, it was exciting, uh, a lot of action. And uh, I'll tell you, uh, uh, Corey Hines sure did, uh, wasn't shy about, um, you know, Moving um, Ty Gibbs, you know, away, you know, aside a little bit for the win. I mean, he did, did it perfect. It was a nice little touch. Didn't wreck him. You know what? And um, you know, it's when you're going for a win of this magnitude. You know what? And and you know, like you said, you know, he roughed him up a little bit earlier in the race. You know, the, you know, you're gonna you gotta expect it. You know, you're gonna get raced the way you know you race other people. But um, Ty was and really Ty good, Gibbs um, didn't dispute that. No. He, I, I was I was surprised yeah. by his interview, by his post race interview. I thought he was going to be mad. I thought he was going to be. You could tell he was mad, but you know what? I, I think he just 
he didn't really want to show it. And mm-hmm. I, and I, and I thought it was, I thought it was great the way he just, you know, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just glad, you know, that I, you know, basically said that he's a Christian, you know, what and that, you know, that, you know, and he's got, right. and that's how he loses his life, you know? So, I mean, I'm, that's awesome. You know, I mean, you know, to get beat like that, you know, then, you know, then to have a post race like that, right. cause most other guys, you know, they'd have been saying other, other things, but you know, um, he, he knows that, that there, he knew the race was over. There's nothing you can do. You can't change it. You know, Ben, he's just, he'll be around to race another day. You know, they still got a, you know, a few more races to go, you know, and, and I'm sure, well, you know, I, we haven't seen I the laps of this battle. With, if you race with respect, you're going to get respect. If you race with a lack of respect, you're going to get a lack of respect back. So, and that's what I see is what happened here. Uh, in the race in the Arkham Menard series. You're right. He did a good job. He did not wreck him. Uh, but uh, it's interesting uh, to see how this is going to continue to play out for this season. Real quick, uh, because we're going to run out of time, the next race is at Berlin Speedway this coming weekend. Uh, the Zinzer Smart Coat 200, July 17th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, that also is a Sioux Chief Showdown event. So uh, both championships on uh, uh, being contested in that race. On July 24th, uh, the ARCA East will be racing at Iowa Speedway uh, at 9 p.m. Eastern time. And the ARCA West, their next race is July the 31st at 8.30 p.m. Mountain, which is, I believe, 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. The Napa Auto Parts Colorado 150 at Colorado National Speedway. So those are the next events coming up in the Arkham Menard Series. And as always, I encourage everybody to head on over to ArcaRacing.com and check out the great articles that they have over there. Next, we're going to go to the inaugural event cell, uh, the NASCAR Truck Series race at Knoxville Raceway on Friday night. Uh, that was a big event. Your initial top thoughts about the race? Okay, I'm not sure yeah, what here, happened sure. to Sal. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, oh, no. okay. Yeah, I'm here. I'm sorry. I accidentally hit the mute button. You know what? I, I wasn't really too uh, – I mean, I was excited to see, you know, what was going to happen, how it was going to play out, but, you know, before the race. But then, yeah, I was – really, really wasn't too happy with, uh, you know, with, with, with the product that I seen out on the track, so – I mean, but that's just my own opinion. Um, you know, I know it's You're something different, alone, but you know, I just, drivers express them. Yeah, and I, I don't blame them. You know what? It was, it was. So, let's just. I'm sure it's uh, going to be one of the hot yeah. topics. <laughs> it has to be because <laughs> it was. Um, <laughs> it, I'll tell you one thing: it sure wasn't a hot, a hot, a hot race to watch. But, um, you know, either way, yeah, you know what, it's, it's something, you know, you know, the NASCAR tried, you know what, they want to take a, a chance, a shot at it. You know, hopefully, you know, they'll they'll listen to the drivers. Hopefully they'll listen to the to the feedback. I know a lot of fans liked it, some yeah, liked it, some did yeah. But I just, anyways, let's, let's uh, move on. Okay. Austin Hill uh, did win. A very drama-filled inaugural NASCAR Truck Series race at Knoxville Raceway in Iowa. 
At the end of a remarkable race on an equally remarkable racetrack, Austin Hill took home the trophy on Friday night's Corn Belt 150 after a fourth attempt at an overtime in the inaugural NASCAR Truck Series event at the iconic uh, half-mile dirt track. Hill scored his first victory of the season in a race that featured 14 cautions and a 17-car pileup in turn one that could rival the biggest big one at Talladega. Um, the number 16 of Austin Hill um, holds the lead over Chandler Smith following the fourth and final overtime on the restart to win his, his first of the season and seventh win of his career. It also punched his ticket into the playoffs for the Camping World Truck Series. Grant Denfinger came in next, followed by Todd Gilliland in third and fourth. Uh, then it was Matt Craig. The pole winner, Derek Krause, won the opening stages and had a few run-ins throughout the race, finishing in fifth. Then it was Matt Crafton, Ben Rose, Brian Brown, uh, one of the champions at Knoxville Raceway, uh, Kate Fogelman, Danny Bone, all closed out 10th. Crafton and Zane Smith, who finished 14th, also clinched a spot into the playoffs with their finishes. Now, the number four, John Hunter Nemechek, finished in 11th and clinched the regular season championship. The debut race for the trucks on the famed Iowa dirt track saw a total of 14 cautions, I mentioned that earlier, spanning 80 yellow caution flag laps. The big incident of the night happened on lap 155 when 17 trucks were involved in a pileup, forcing a nearly 15-minute red flag period for track cleanup. Defending series champion Sheldon Creed and sprint car staple Donnie Schatz making his series debut were among those involved. There were 20 lead changes among seven drivers due to the aforementioned 14 cautions and 80 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was a slowed down to 36.802 miles per hour. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Now then, this was uh, his first victory in the 11th top 10 finish in 2021 for Austin Hill, the first victory and first top 10 finish in one race at Knoxville. Chandler Smith in second posted his first top 10 finish at Ritt Knoxville and his fifth top 10 this year. Uh, Grant Tinfinger in third posted his eighth top 10 finish of the season. And Chandler Smith was actually the highest finishing rookie of the race. So, uh, anyway... Any other thoughts that you want to bring up here? Yeah, it was um, that that red flag was was ridiculous. I mean, it was just oh man. I mean, congratulations to Austin Hill. You know, it's funny we were talking. We talk every week, you know, about you know somebody you know seeing a new race winner. You know, mm-hmm. and, and we did see one. You know, we did see one. You know, this week in the truck series, you know, which was neat. You know, uh, rookie Chandler Smith. You know what gave him a good run for his money, and um. You know, Derek Krause had his didn't make very many friends after the race. I'm surprised <laughs> no, somebody didn't go over there and punch him in the face. I mean, there was a lot of drivers that were really upset with the way he drove. And um, and we but, like Derek you know, Krause, that, but it was a yeah, rough but I mean, for him. And a lot of that yeah, was desperation a, to get into the playoffs. Yeah. You know, and um, 
but unfortunately, you know what, it did, you know, the chips didn't fall his way and, you know, but either way, you know, congratulations to Austin Hill on the win. Um, you know, by the time everything sorted out and, you know, we went to, you know, to what we had to go through to, to see this race. But, um, you know, you, you just really got to take your hat off, you know, to the team. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree. He put himself in the right place for the right time and uh, was able to come home with the win. So that punches his ticket into the playoffs, which is pretty darn cool. Let's go ahead and hit the points here for the truck series. Okay, then on the points, we got um, still leading the points is John Hunter Nemechek with, uh, with um, five wins. Um, second is Ben Rhodes. Um, third is Austin Hill. Uh, of course, you know, he just picked up his win. So he's um, he's locked in. Fourth is uh, Todd Gilliland with one win. Zane Smith rounds out the top five. And Zane has zero wins. Um, John Hunter Nemechek still leads the, the series with 34, <laughs> 34 amazing playoff points, which basically should lock him into the you know, the final four when they go to a Phoenix at the end of the season. Okay, we'll have to see what he does in those uh, races leading up to that, those nine races leading up to Phoenix. Uh, but let's. what about the next five? The next five is sixth. We got Matt Crafton. <clears throat> Seventh is Sheldon Creed, who also has a race win. Eighth is Grad Infinger. Ninth is uh, Carson Hosovar and Stuart Friesen. Uh, rounds out the top ten with um and actually he's on the bubble with Chandler Smith sitting in eleventh. Um he's uh thirteen points behind Stuart Friesen. Mhm. Yeah, several drivers that are below the cut line were really racing hard uh in that race. I don't think Derek was the only one. I heard uh comments made about several of those drivers uh really driving with desperation on that dirt track. Um, do you think NASCAR will reconsider the dirt track at Knoxville at this stage of the season for next year? I don't know. The way NASCAR is, the the route they're going, I seriously doubt it. I think they're going to give it one more shot and see what happens. I think that they ought to just cut it out and, you know, when they put their schedule together, you know, and just say, you know, hey, you know, Knoxville isn't, you know, Knoxville is not a, um, it's not an Eldora type of race, you know, and it's not an Eldora type of track. Um, you know, maybe we should just go ahead and, um, you know, just kick it off the schedule, you know, and, and go back to, you know, having, you know, having a race that, you know, gives, you know, each of the drivers, you know, an equal opportunity to win, especially this late in the season when they're all fighting for a, um, well, they're all fighting not only for women, they're fighting for uh, for a playoff spot. A place. Yeah, they're yeah. fighting for a place in the playoff. Uh, and and that really uh, was evident, I think, uh, on Friday night when we were watching this race. Okay, so uh, any other comments with regard to uh, drivers that uh, didn't have the finish they thought they would? Um, any other thoughts? Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, you know what? It's funny because our, our the picks we had last week, 
um, when we talked about this race, you know, talk about, you know, the, you know, the dirt drivers, you know, that were going to be coming out for this race, you know, what, um, mm-hmm. you know, it just, they just, they just didn't have the, they didn't have the results, you know, well, that, you know, kind of like we expected, you know, you know, I, I, yeah, I know I expected, um, pile up just quite a few of them out. Exactly. You know what? It, because I mean, you know, I, we expected Shell and Creed to have a lot better, you know, a lot better run. Chase Briscoe, you know, have a lot better run. Uh, mm-hmm. Donnie Schatz, you know, he's a, you know, one of the, um, you know, the dirt specialists. Stuart Friesen, you know, to have a lot better run. And, um, you know, Norm Benning, you know, there's a few other ones, you know, that we can, we can you know, kind of point out. But, um, you know, unfortunately it, it didn't happen that way, you know, and uh, Austin came out for winning, you know what, and, you know, like I said, this is something that NASCAR needs to look at and see, you know, if this is the route that they really want to, you know, if they really want to take. Okay. Well, this was the penultimate race, uh, the last race of their regular season uh, will take place on August the 7th. That's a Saturday night at Watkins Glen International. This is going to be the cutoff race where we find out uh, who are they going to be the 10 drivers to compete for the championship in the uh, playoffs for the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. So this is a Do Not Miss event, August the 7th at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, a green flag around 12.42 p.m. Eastern Time, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1 with radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. So uh, definitely the United Rentals 175 at the Glen is a do-not-miss event for this truck series if uh, you're following uh, all of the action in that series. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. So John Hunter Nemechek has already wrapped up. Uh, he is the regular season champion uh, following Knoxville. So we already know that part of the uh, equation here. Uh, the big question is who's going to make it into the 10 driver uh, lineup to compete for the championship in their playoff. So that's uh, going to make it interesting. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's going to be real, real interesting to see who, um, you know, who, who gets the, um, you know, who else has a has a possibility, you know, who hasn't won a race yet, you know, who else, you know, somebody outside of the top ten, you know, who could possibly pick up a, you know, a race. Like you know, Austin Hill. Him. Yeah, exactly, like Austin Hill. Yep. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and we're a couple minutes ahead here, but let's go ahead and move on to the Xfinity Series. Uh, they race in Atlanta. This will be the last time that uh, they'll race on this track uh, with this configuration. They're going through a new configuration. Uh, a lot of the drivers are unhappy about that, but it's going to happen. It's, it's kind of overdue in a lot of ways and uh, almost a necessity at this point. Uh, We saw on Sunday's race where they had chunks of asphalt actually coming off the track that they had to stop the race in order to fix it so that they could continue. So uh, it really is time for that. But uh, uh, it was uh, kind of fun seeing Kyle Busch 
Jets go five for five in his Xfinity Series starts for this season uh, and win again in the Xfinity Series. A record 102 NASCAR Xfinity Series victories uh, with his win in the Credit Karma Money 250 at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Um, That is history-making. Nobody else has ever done that before. Uh, and Kyle Busch has said that this is going to be it for him uh, in the Xfinity Series. He's not planning to return at this point. So that was kind of interesting as well. Uh, on a restart with six laps to go, the number 54 of Kyle Busch got into the rear of his Joe Jason teammate, the number 18 of Daniel Hemrick, and turned him sideways. That's all Bush needed in order to win the Credit Karma 250 at Atlanta Motor Speedway, his fifth Xfinity Series win in as many starts this season. Jeff Burton rebounded from running outside the top ten for most of the race in order to finish second. Noah Gregson, Justin Haley, Ty Dillon round out the top five. Uh, another hour motorsports car, Brett Moffitt, in the O2 finished sixth. Justin Algauer, Jeremy Clements, Sam Mayer, and Austin Sindrick round out the top ten. Bush swept all three stages. If his Xfinity Series career is complete, he ends it now with that 102 victories, 225 top fives, 263 top tens, and 363 starts. There were 16 lead changes among the nine drivers, and 10 cautions for 43 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 109.032 miles per hour. Uh, This is uh, Kyle Busch's fifth victory and fifth top 10 finish for the 2021 season. Uh, It is his third victory and 11th top 10 finish in 14 races at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Jeff Burton posted his second top 10 finish in three races at Atlanta. It's his 11th top 10 finish this year. Noah Gregson in third, posting his fourth top 10 in four races at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Sam Mayer, who finished ninth, was the highest finishing rookie of the race. So uh, any thoughts there um, with regard to... uh, Kyle's uh, 102nd win and the fact that he's not going to be racing again in the Xfinity Series. Yeah, you could tell he was kind of bummed out by what happened between him and Daniel Hammer. Kyle didn't do a burnout. Um, He didn't do his his normal, you know, where he gets a flag and he does his bow and all that. His his interview was, was real vague, you know, what it really wasn't one of, you know, celebration. It was one of more you can tell he's more, not so much, I mean, disgusted with himself, but, you know, but, I mean, you could tell he wasn't, he wasn't happy with the, with the outcome, you know, taking out, you know, his teammate the way he did, you know. He was, his you intention know. was to help his teammate, uh, but I think oh, he yeah. chose a bad place to do it in the corner like that. Yeah, and, and I don't think Daniel was ready for it either. You know, I don't think, you mm-hmm. know, Hemrick was ready, you know, to be, you know, for that push, but I mean, you don't you don't push someone in the corner, anyways, especially a track exactly. like that. You know, and um, exactly. you know, and you know, to see him go out the way he did, you know, um, you know, I know a lot of people said deep down inside Kyle was was loving it, but 
you could tell, I mean, because usually when he does stuff like that, he still, he still celebrates, but you could tell he just, he didn't, mm-hmm. he didn't want to do the interview, you know, the post-race interview. I, I really wish I that, agree with you. I really I wish that NB, about it. I really wish that NBCSN would have would have interviewed Daniel and done more interviews after the race. They're they are doing a horrible job this season as far as their race oh, coverage. It just it, it it sucks. I mean, you know, I, I wanted to hear more reaction after the race, you know, and we didn't hear nothing. Mm-hmm. They went straight straight from that to whatever else they were gonna and at least Fox Sports, you know, at least they would, you know, hang in there, you know, and get a few interviews, or they would switch to Fox Sports to, you know, finish. But I mean, mm-hmm. this was a key moment in, in the season. Daniel was looking for his first win. You know, he had it, he had it locked, almost locked up. Because if it had been for that last restart, he would have had, he would have had the, he had the race locked up. You know, and then you know we couldn't even. No, nobody knows what he said after 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 that because. You know they, mm-hmm. they they cut off. Yeah, that is disappointing. I agree with you in that regard. It's like the TV programming is so tight, and they don't have an alternative channel for fans to go to to hear those interviews. And I think that is uh, a little bit of a shortcoming there on NBC. Um, I hope that they get that corrected before the playoffs begin uh, because I think that's going to be inexcusable. It's inexcusable anyway, but it's going to be really inexcusable if they do that during the the playoffs. So hopefully they're hearing that feedback and we'll be able to get that fixed. Um, But, uh, uh, and I agree with your assessment on Kyle Busch too. I don't think he was happy uh, with the way that all played out, and he and I do think he should have known better, uh, and I think he's probably kicking himself because I think he knows he should have known better than to do that at that in the corner, uh, the way that he did that. But um, you know, we all make mistakes. Cal uh, Bush is no exception to that, and I think he did show some reverence uh, in that celebrating as a result of that. So uh, I, I do give him, I don't want to say kudos because that's kind of the wrong thing, but I want to give him some credit for acknowledging that it's not the way he likes to win a race. Um, so, but he still has 102 wins in the history books, uh, more than any other driver. Uh, yes, he does. You know, and that's going to be a record, you know, that's going to be a, a mark that's going to be hard for anybody to, to, you know, to beat. And, it, and I mean, when you look at it, most drivers only spend two or three seasons in the Xfinity Series anyways, you know. But, I mean, you know, and then not too many of them really dabble back into into the series. They only use it, you know, as a reason, you know, to try to learn, you know, a new track or, you know, try and get, you know, more track experience on that track. You know, it's to where Kyle Busch, you know he's you know he's out there to win. You know, sure he's trying out there to gain experience, but I but everybody knew he was out there. You know to you know to get as many wins as he possibly could. That's true. That is true. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to the points report, Sal. Okay, the now the points are. Um, Oh, here they are. Okay, driver okay, points are, are still the, 
Okay. Yeah, no, the driver, driver points haven't changed any. Um, Austin seems like they're still leading the points with uh, with uh, um, four four race wins. Um, second is AJ Allmendinger with um, two race wins. Third is Daniel Hamrick, who still hasn't had a race win and still looking for that first win. Um, fourth is Justin Allgaier. Fifth is Harrison Burton. And sixth is Jeb Burton, who runs off the top six. We'll read off the top 12 since the 12 is the um, is the uh, the cutoff for the for the chase. And then we go down to seventh, which is Justin Haley. Eighth is Noah Gregson. Ninth is Brandon Jones. Tenth is Michael Annette. Eleventh is Jeremy Clements. And twelfth is Mike Snyder, which Ryder Herbs only five points out of that last um out of that last um, transfer spot. So uh, it's going to be going to be exciting these last few races, you know, to see if Riley can, you know, can rally and, you know, get himself enough points in it to where he can get himself into the the chase, barring that one of one of our other city guards doesn't pick up a win, you know, and, and, and take that spot away. Okay. So the guys that are below that cut line, Sal, uh, Myatt Snyder is above the cut line right now. You've got Riley Erbst. Uh, he's five points back. Then it's Brandon Brown, seven points back. And Josh Berry, who, by the way, is racing for Michael Lynette this weekend. He's 27 points back, but he does have that one race win. Uh, Ryan Sieg. Well, actually, it would be the 7 plus 27, so that's 34 points back. Uh, and then Ryan Segan, 16th, is another 11 points back uh, behind that. So um, what, those guys are going to have to get a win in order to get in. Yes, they, yeah, they are They are too far back. And, um, uh, but, you know, it's going to be exciting to you know, see how, how Riley and um, Brandon Brown, you know, do these next, you know, these upcoming races, you know, you know, leading up to your chase to see if they can, you know, if they can get enough points and, you know, hope that um, Mike Snyder, you know, doesn't have, uh, you know, you know, start racking up some top, some top fives. That's some in- exactly. Now, some interesting news that came out today is Michael Lynette, who has a fracture uh, in his leg and was out at Knoxville. I think uh, Austin Dillon drove for him at Knoxville. I believe they announced that, uh, uh, I just said his name, Josh Berry is going to drive for him at Watka at the next race. Um, and uh, so they've given him a waiver uh, so that he can compete for the championship. And I was curious to know your thoughts about that, too, uh, Sal, because uh, they did not grant the waiver to Grant Infinger, who's been working really hard to make sure he makes as many races as he possibly can. What are your thoughts about that? You know, it's (laughs) – I don't know. I I think – I understand, you know, you know, with what's happened, you know, and I, I think this waiver thing kind of, I think it kind of got out of hand, you know, and I, I don't think, you know, NASCAR, 
I think what NASCAR needs to do is just lay down a, they need to lay down a set of rules exactly how you can and how and why you can't get a waiver. You know, they just can't say, okay, yeah. you know, this guy, you know, okay, you know, he hurt his foot or hurt his ankle, whatever, you know, we're going to give him a waiver, but yet somebody who's only missed two or three races can't get a waiver. One. Yeah, or one race, you one know. One race. And yeah. you get the hustle you know, to get, make sure he makes all the others. Exactly. You can't do that. You know, NASCAR has to, you have to set a, a, a you know, some, some ground rules and stick to them. You know, uh, you know, just like when, when they first started the chase, you know what, and, and because the golden boy, Jeff Gordon, didn't make the chase, all of a sudden, since he got wrecked the race before, you know, we're going to add one more extra spot to put Jeff Gordon, you know, in, into the chase. Well, that was you know, now, a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of that was but, around a lot of controversy as well. But I, I but, agree. But, I think but, it has but, to be clearly defined. I kind of was defending NASCAR uh, because I I felt like they maybe they said no to Grant because he does not have a win this season. But now that they've granted the waiver to Michael Annette, who also has no wins yet this season. Uh, I'm not sure what their reasoning is for denying uh, Grant Infinger, who's worked so hard uh, to try to be in as many races as he possibly can. And is being competitive, uh, it doesn't make sense to me. So I would like, and I think NASCAR owes an explanation as to what is the difference in the decision that they've made, uh, because it's, it's confusing for all of us at this point. Exactly, you know, and that's why I'm saying, you know, they, they need to set down, you know, some ground rules, you know what, and say, okay, you know, this is, you know, how you get in, how you get out. I mean, I, I couldn't understand the thing with Kyle Busch, you know, when he wrecked at Daytona, you know, when he broke both his legs, you know, it was done during a race. You know, I could see something like that, you know what, you know, you, you know, you give the guy a waiver because, you know, it happened during a race. You know what, it wasn't something that mm-hmm. happened off the track, you know, so you know, something off the, off the track, you know what, we're not going to grant the waiver because, you know what, um, you you know, you're a professional athlete. You know what, mm-hmm. and the idea of being a professional athlete is, is you watch what you do when you're away from your, from your said sport, whether it be baseball, football, basketball, racing, or whatever. Whatever. You know, you're, you're, you're held at a higher standard, you know, so you should – you know, when you do your extracurricular activities, you know, you need to take a little bit more precautions, you know, knowing, right. you know, that, you know, you know, that, I mean, you know, we're all susceptible to getting an injury, you know, but, oh, and, okay. and I think anything away from we the track should, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to make sure that fans know that the next race for the Xfinity Series is at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. The Am better get um, vaccinated 200 uh, will be Saturday, July the 10th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and uh, will be televised on NBC Sports Network with radio coverage on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Next, we'll go ahead and move to the uh, Cup Series, who also raced their last race on the current configuration at uh, Atlanta Motor Speedway this weekend. And uh, let's see here. Here it is. I want to get to 
the right page here for the Quaker State 400 uh, that they ran on Sunday, July the 11th. I think that date on that New Hampshire race is wrong. I thought that when I was reading it. That doesn't sound right. It says July 10th, but it's this coming weekend, so uh, that's obviously wrong. Um, anyway, uh, they, Kurt Bush won the Quaker State 400 at Atlanta Motor Speedway. The win was his first win of the season, allowing him to punch his ticket into the playoffs for the NASCAR Cup Series. It was his fourth win at Atlanta Motor Speedway and the 33rd win of his career. And he said this is one of his favorite tracks, and I think it showed uh, with his racing on Sunday. Bush led the most laps of the race with 144 of the 260 out front and then battled his brother, Kyle Bush, for the lead throughout the final stretch of the race. Kurt coming out on top with 23 laps to go. Uh, the brothers hit lap traffic, and Kurt admitted post-race that his Chip Ganassi racing teammate, Ross Chastain, helped with track position to get him ahead of Kyle. Despite numerous attempts in the closing laps, Kyle Bush fell short and was forced to settle for second place. He was followed by Martin Truex Jr., Alex Bowman, Ryan Blaney, Tyler Ruddick, Chase Elliott, Christopher Bell, Matt DiBenedetto, and Brad Keselowski. The pole sitter of the race was Chase Elliott. He led 13 laps and finished in seventh place. Stage one was won by Kyle Bush. Stage two by Kurt Bush. And then, of course, Kurt Busch won the race. There were 10 lead changes among seven drivers and four cautions for 21 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 147.207 miles per hour. Uh, this was Kurt Busch's 33rd victory in 741 Cup Series races. Uh, and his fourth and 16th top 10 finish in 31 races at Atlanta Motor Speedway. It's also his seventh top 10 finish in 2021. Kyle Busch posted his 11th top 10 finish in 24 races at Atlanta Motor Speedway and his 14th top 10 finish this year. Martin Truex Jr. in third posted his 12th top 10 finish in 24 races at Atlanta, and Chase Briscoe, who finished 15th, was the highest finishing rookie of the race. So your thoughts about this one, Sal? It was quite a show between the Bush brothers at the end. Yeah, it was. You know what? And Kyle wasn't too happy about getting beat by his um, by his brother, you know. But um, you know, it was it was, it was a good uh, it was a good showing once again. You know, we it, we talked about, you know, last week, you know, about, a, you know, another driver, you know, getting the win this late in the season, you know, to to get mm-hmm. there, you know, to get into the chase. And here we are, you know, with Kurt Busch, you know, who we've talked he about. You know, week in, yeah, and we talked about him week in and week out, you know, about, mm-hmm. you know, I always felt that, that Kurt was, I felt Kurt was going to get a win, you know, over all the other ones. And it was neat to see him, you know, um, you know, to get it, you know, get to it, especially over his brother, you know, and uh, I'll, I'm just curious if, um, if, because I know last time that Kurt beat Kyle, Kyle left the tracker, he left Kurt behind, he was supposed to be a ride out, <laughs> they were sharing an airplane, 
So I was mm-hmm. to another friend of mine. I, I said, you know what? I said, I'm curious if um, if, if, if if Kyle left Kurt at the airport again. I said, <laughs> you know, I said, you know, dude, you know, you won the race. You can find your own way home. But, um, you know, it's, 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 I'm sure, you know, between them, you know, it's, it's all in, it's all in good fun, you know, and, you know. And well, Kyle did go like to said, victory Kyle. lane. Yeah. Oh, he did? I didn't see him go to Victory Lane. Yeah, I saw some pictures of it. He came to visit uh, Kurt in Victory Lane. And I'm assuming he gave him his congratulations. Um, Yeah, or or he was just telling him, um, I'll see you you at home. We're we're leaving to, uh, you know, your your plane ride. uh, You know, (laughs) I'm sorry, bro, but I got to leave you. Well, we'll, we'll maybe, maybe, maybe it's something like that. About that later. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, it it was a very exciting race. Uh, the race results uh, overall, uh, I thought, were pretty interesting. Martin Truex Jr. I was following him all day, and uh, I'll tell you what, this was not an easy race for him. I was surprised that he ended up with a third-place finish because he battled from the back several times uh, throughout the day. And uh, it just kind of showed that uh, uh, he really made the best of a difficult situation to finish in third place. Yeah, and even Alex Bowman, you know, Alex Bowman, you know, was, you know, looked, looked tough, you know, early on too, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I, thought, I thought he would have had a lot better finish, you know, than the fourth, but he, you know, even given the fact, you know, that he still had that fourth place finish on a tough track, you know, yeah. you know, Alex is kind of like the, I don't know, I kind of look at Alex as kind of like the unsung hero in the in the um, in the Hendrick Motorsports stable ever since you know Kyle Larson, you know, went on that little you know tear with winning all those I races, agree. and now and now everybody expects Kyle to win every race. Come on, people, he can't win every race. He's not going <laughs> to win every race. You know what? And they made a big thing. Oh, Kyle, this, Kyle, this. You know, look, he almost got lapped. And you know what? He's human. You know what? I'm sorry, but you know what? He, I understand he's Kyle Larson, but he is not going to win every race. So, mm-hmm. you know, people, you need, you need to get over it and and not try to well, make him. Followed, you know, we followed both of those drivers from their earlier days in racing before they were in NASCAR's top three. And I agree with you. I think Alex Bowman is underrated. I think he's he much is. better than people give him credit for. And uh, uh, I think he shows it on the track as well. So I was glad to see him get that fourth place finish. <clears throat> yeah, so was I. Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, cover the uh, points report for the Cup Series. Okay, the points are, we'll, we'll go to the first state and then we'll go to the second. We take the top 16. Um, yeah, Danny Hamlin is still leading the points. He stretched it out from two. Now he's 10 points ahead of uh, second place Kyle Larson, who are fighting for that. Um, so see who's going to be the uh, season, regular season champion, which, which I know comes with a little bit extra cash. And the bragging right, you know, to say, you know, if they were the champion and then, Man, I we're still waiting for Danny Hamlin to pick up that first win, just like we see mm-hmm. Kurt Busch pick up his first win, and then second is Kyle Larson with um, with four, who has the four wins. Um, 
Kyle Busch, who has two wins. William Byron with one win. Chase Elliott with two wins. Joey Logano with one win. Martin Truex Jr. with seven. And Ryan Blaney right off the top eight. And all the top eight drivers, with the exception of Denny Hamlin, have a win. And Kyle Larson has a uh, astounding 32 playoff points going going when the play, when the playoffs start with that that which includes uh, 12 stages. Mm-hmm. And then coming in ninth is Kevin Harvick. Still looking for his first win. Brad Keselowski, who has one race win this year. Alex Bowman, who has three race wins, is 11th. 12th is Austin Dillon with zero wins. 13th is Tyler Reddick with zero wins. 14th is Kurt Busch, who now will move up up the board with his win, along with along with Christopher Bell moving up the board with his one win. 16th is Chris Boucher and Michael McDowell, who's 17th, doesn't have to worry since he has a race win, too. 18th is Matt D. Uh, Benedetto, and it looks like um, the bubble driver is Ross Chastain, who got, <laughs> I don't, I guess Kyle Busch just doesn't like him, because every week Kyle Busch always has something to say about him, and he talked about him, too. He's yeah. 42 got his way, you know, and he felt that 42 is the reason that he couldn't actually make a good run on Kurt to win the race. But every week mm-hmm. we hear Kyle talk about the 42 of um, Ross Chastain and and a few other drivers have talked about Ross Chastain too. Um, I know he's one of our favorites. He's an so, aggressive driver, uh, there's no doubt. Yeah. So that's basically our top 16 right there, and uh, we'll see what well, happens. Michael McDowell will displace Chris Buescher. Chris is actually below yeah. the cut line, and Michael is above that cut line. Um, but, yeah, and a lot of these drivers, they know that they've got to have a win. There's only four drivers in the top 16 that do not have a win, and there are drivers that you would not expect, like Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick, Austin Dillon and Tyler Reddick. Um, so especially those that are closer to that top 16, if another driver from below wins, it makes them more and more vulnerable. So these guys are really hoping to get a win themselves to kind of secure their spot. Exactly. And, and you know what, and it's, um, you know, we're getting close. You know, they only have, what, uh, five more races left, you know, until mm-hmm. they um, – you know, and, and and we've seen, you know, what can happen with five races left. I mean, look at six races left in Kurt Busch. You know, and Kurt Busch mm-hmm. picked up his win. You know, and, and you know, when you when you look up and down the board, drivers who, doesn't, who don't have a win, Danny Hamlin is already in. So whether he gets a win or not, you know, you know, there's not going to be much of a shakeup there with Danny Hamlin. Same thing with Kevin Harvick, Austin Dillon, or Tyler Reddick. But we're looking down below, basically below Matt uh, – Actually, you know, Chris Buescher, you know, Ross Chastain, um, Ricky Stenhouse, Daniel Suarez, who was involved in a wreck, mm-hmm. Chase Briscoe, Eric Jones, Ryan Newman, you know, Eric, Eric Almarola, you know, and, you know, those are really the only threats, you know, that could possibly pick up a win, you know, one of these next five races. I thought the funniest comment over the weekend was a reference to Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and they called him, and I can't remember who did this, who referred to him as that, but he called him Recky Spinhouse Jr. Yeah, I've I've heard a few. That made me laugh. 
Yeah, I've, I've heard a few about a few uh, jokes about Ricky, you know, and, and different names they call him, you know. Um, you know, but I mean, he's unless he gets a win, he's out of it. Just like Bubba Wallace, you know, Bubba Wallace is out of it too. Mm-hmm. Unless unless he mm-hmm. unless he collects a win, Ross Chastain is basically in the same boat, you know, as the rest of them. So I mean, they really need either get a win or or hope that Chris Boucher and and uh, who's above Chris Boucher now? Chris Boucher and Tyler Reddick just really have a total meltdown, you know, and um, you know, and and see what happens. Yep, it's going to be interesting, <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I'm looking forward to these next several races uh, to see how this continues to play out. Well, Sal, we're just about at the end of the show here. Uh, were you at a racetrack this weekend? I know SRL is playing this week, right? Racing. Yes, racing. I'll be at the SRL. Yeah, I'll be at the SRL race at uh, Irondale Speedway this weekend. So, looking forward to that. Looking forward to getting back to it. Um, well, uh, Motor City's Motor City. Um, oh gosh, it's the. Uh, it's the um the official torque the official torture. The official um uh card dealer, you know, that, that that gives the SRL their um their uh pace truck put down a twenty five hundred dollar mm-hmm. challenge to anybody that could be Derek Thorne. So basically in the next oh, wow. four races Yeah. So in the next four races Derek? If if somebody can beat Derek, they'll get twenty five hundred dollars. But if Derek wins the next four races, then Derek will get the twenty five hundred dollar bonus, cash bonus himself. So there's a bounty yeah. out just like it was for for Kevin Harvick last year. So it's going to be interesting. It's only twenty five hundred bucks. I wish somebody would have put up like you know fifteen or twenty grand, you know. I mean, or else put up fifty grand if Derek can win the next four races. Mm-hmm. You know? But that would be interesting. Yeah, so. So, um, okay, so keep us posted, Sal, on what happens at that race this weekend. Is it Saturday or Friday? No, it's Saturday, Saturday night. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one. And, uh, you know, Derek, uh, I know he has a hard time coming on the show (laughs) these days. Uh, but whoever wins, uh, hopefully we can get him on the show on Monday. Yeah, Derek said he'll do a um, – we're going to do a pre-snowball uh, derby show. I had already talked to him about the show, oh. and he says – yeah, he's, he, he told me, he goes, he goes we'll, uh, we'll, we'll plan on doing a pre a – pre, um, he's kind of he's kind of staying low-key right now, not doing much. Um Gotcha. You know, he's concentrating, you know, on, on get, you know, on race wins and stuff like that. So, you know, we just kind of right. just lay back, you know, wait for him, you know, until he's ready. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, I, I know that uh, Jay is going to be on here in just a minute or so. He was here and left, uh, but hopefully we'll be able to catch him back here. Uh, for our Hot Topic Sound Off. And, uh, Sal, I know you can't stay with us uh, for the Hot Topic Sound Off, uh, but you know we appreciate everything that you do, and we're looking forward to talking to you again on Monday night. All right. You guys all be safe. Have a good weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you all next week.
Good night. Oh, okay. Take take care of yourself. Bye bye. Okay. Okay. Goodbye. All, all right. We are at eight thirty one and uh, I'm sorry, nine thirty one Eastern time. And that means it's time for us to be talking. NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And uh Jay, it looks like it's gonna be just you and me tonight. Wow, well, that's what I, I knew I was pressed for time. I, I always say if I had that one extra minute in a day, uh, I think I've been short about 10 minutes today. I am still driving home, but I think I should be able to maintain service all the way home. Okay, well, we'll play it by ear here and do the best we can with the situation as it is. Okay, we've got a lot of hot topics to cover here. I tried to get uh, some thoughts from Sal throughout tonight's show uh, on his thoughts on some of our hot topics. Uh, but why don't you go ahead and kick us off with the first topic tonight? Well, we'll I guess work our way backwards. You want to start with Friday night and go forward, or uh, yesterday and go backwards? Uh, let's go backwards, I guess. Okay. I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, talking about Sunday's race, obviously the the, the hot topic was a teammate blocking, if you will. Uh, yes. Some people are calling it blocking, but helping out a teammate, as it were, however you want to call it. So we'll start there. Okay. Uh, some people are calling it team orders, and I think they're confused uh, because I don't think that there were any orders from the team owner telling that driver of what he should do in that situation. Uh, From where I sit, the perspective that I have, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think his spotter or his crew chief uh, maybe told him what the situation was, and I don't even know that they did that. But I think Ross Chastain made an independent decision based on the information that he had available to him and did what he felt was best for his organization, uh, which was uh, to block um, Kyle Bush. By the way, it's supposed to be the job of the spotter and the crew chief to keep their driver apprised of what the situation is and uh, let the driver then make his decision of how he wants to proceed. And I think that's what happened um, and I'm, like I say, I'm not even sure that they even told him of the situation. I think he knew what the situation was, and he did what he felt was right for his organization, which is Chip Ganassi Racing and the team. Uh, I do not believe that Chip Ganassi told those drivers uh, to block. I think he left that up to them. So to me, that's not a team order. That's an individual in the moment, decision by the driver uh, to support his organization. Um, And I think that's a huge difference over uh, what we saw happen, say, a few years ago in 2013, I think it was, at Richmond during a cutoff race where there seemed to be a coordinated effort um, that was pre-planned within Michael Waltrip Racing that played out, that we saw play out on the on the racetrack. I, now that seems to me like that was premeditated and and planned. So that I think is a huge huge difference over what we saw happen 
at Atlanta this weekend and some of the other situations that we've seen uh, throughout the year. So I'm curious to know your thoughts, Jay. Yeah, you hit on a couple of key words there um, of a pre-planned or doing something specifically to alter the course of the race itself. In this case, Mm -hmm. like you said, now I do think that – from my understanding, it was passed along. Kurt Busch was the leader. He was coming. They asked Ross Chastain or said that Kurt would prefer the bottom line, okay? Uh, and mm-hmm. I listened to Dave Moody a little bit today on the, on the radio on the way home, and that was his point. A driver is going to make the decision each and every time he goes into a corner, however many times, you know, four times a lap or twice a, <laughs> twice a lap throughout an entire race. You're going to go high or you're going to go low. If Ross said, mm-hmm. I can run the same speed either way, I go high, I don't lose any ground, I'm going to get past anyway, they're faster cars, it's going to save my car, it is going to help my teammate, yes. There was no mm-hmm. blocking whatsoever. When, when Kyle came, he said, okay, I chose the high lane, I'm going to stay up here, Kyle has the right to go around him. And he did not mm-hmm. block him to prevent him or slowing him down. Okay, did he choose the high lane to help his teammate and the both leaders take a preferred line? Or in this case, more maybe more so Kurt than Kyle, if Kyle wanted the high lane. But, yeah, that is a teammate. You're going to do that. Just like at Talladega, when you think about it, nobody has that issue when you choose to push your teammate or push your manufacturer. You know, mm-hmm. that, at that point, you're going to do what's best. If it also then benefits your teammate or your manufacturer, obviously you're going to do it that way. And we've seen some issues where they haven't, where they said, hey, you pushed a Chevy instead of a Ford. What are you doing? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think he did anything wrong by any means a- at all. And I certainly, what I was hearing wasn't necessarily team orders, but it was blocking. And, yeah, that was the dispute I heard on the radio today. There was no blocking whatsoever. Did he take the particular yeah. line Kyle was running? Yes, but he did not block him or hold him up by, you know, not allowing him the opportunity to pass in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because I saw some clips of it today uh, and kind of looked at that, and I didn't really see blocking either. Uh, but I did see him go to the high line, which happens to be where Kyle Bush went, um, and I think he gave him plenty of room to pass if he wanted to pass. Uh, but, um, I, again, I did not see it as team orders in any way, shape, or form. To me, team orders are if that team order comes on and and tells him to do that. You know, I want you to block Kyle Bush. That didn't happen. So to me, there were there was no team orders either. Uh, again, they kept him informed of what was going to happen. Kyle Bush or Kurt Bush wants the lower line. I, I think that's fair. I think that that's their job to keep him informed so that he can make decisions based on his situation. Uh, and acknowledged him at the end of the race and thanked him. Uh, you know, for for uh, what he called blocking, uh, but actually, when I set, when I looked at the replay, I really didn't even see blocking. Uh, I did see him go to the high line. I did see him push 
Kurt Bush at one point. Uh, but like you said, we see that happen at Talladega all the time, too, uh, where a teammate helps another teammate by pushing him. So, again, I didn't really see anything wrong with that. I didn't see anything that equates to me anything close to what we saw happening at Richmond, in which I do believe there were team orders on how they wanted that to play out. And uh, uh, that's why they, you know, there was a repercussion for that. Uh, this is very, very different. Uh, and I think it's very, very different from what some people are equating to F1 as well. So, uh, again, I think people are kind of using the term very loosely and not really uh, understanding that there is a huge difference here. So with that, uh, your follow-up, Jay. Yeah, there is a huge difference there of, of what Formula One, I mean, they set it up way, that way. They go out and they say, hey, this is our number one car. Your job is to help him win the race no matter what. The only way you get to win is if he breaks and cannot. That is team orders mm-hmm. and having a first car and a second car. And we have seen that happen. We know it exists. Um, and I don't, I'm not a fan of that. So, um, yeah, that uh, we're, we're nowhere close to that. Like I said, this was he, he opted to choose a particular lane. Again, he didn't slow up. He didn't throw a block on Kyle. He just said, hey, y'all are going to mm-hmm. pass me. You do it on the bottom lane because that's the lane my teammate is preferring. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Okay, uh, next topic. Well, I will throw off two. I got uh, two more things there. I'm sorry if I didn't mention. Uh, Mike chimed in on under the chat part of it. And all he said was Ross Chastain did nothing wrong. And uh, Quentin is listening as well. He said, uh, let's face it, Kyle Busch has decided to run second, uh, so the number for John Hunter Nemechek to get the win. Uh, I know Kyle's been accused of that, and he's defended that, saying, no, I didn't, and he's not blocking either. So that's one of those I'm like, I don't know if Kyle has any room to talk uh, as far as that. I, I, I would never say too. Kyle yeah. – yeah, I would never say Kyle let him win, but would he have been more aggressive if it had been somebody else? Is him running second, even if he knows John's faster, is he still blocking to make sure nobody else gets to him? Well, I don't and think I'm thinking so. About the spin. But then I also. Oh, I got you. Okay. Remember the okay. spin? Remember he spun to bring out a caution and it helped John Henry Neiman check? I think a lot of people question that. Uh, well, Kyle did the Kyle smart. Bush. Kyle did the smart thing and refused to comment on it, so we don't know if he did yes. it intentionally. <laughs> yes, but I think people know that you know there was some help there, and I thought about that too. Kyle has no room to talk uh, because uh, he, he did that with John Hunter Nemechek. Yeah, again, if you're racing with a teammate, same thing. You know. You might be a little more aggressive, give that little bump, and we'll talk about that in a different hot topic, whereas a teammate, you won't. <laughs> you do race them a little bit cleaner, mm-hmm. however you want to put it, you know. And sometimes it happens where you don't. You know, Hendrick apparently would have had to have a, a, a big team meeting a couple weeks ago or whatever at Road America following that. So there are mm-hmm. things you're going to do that 
Yes, you're, you know, and truthfully, it is the same thing of whether it's a teammate or not. There are certain drivers that you feel show you respect. You're going to show them a certain amount of respect back. Certain drivers, you know, they've Mm -hmm. never let you cleanly pass them. You're not going to let them, you know. So, yeah, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of different things that come into play. Yes, there is. And uh, I do know, so we've got a hot topic that talks about that uh, very thing. So, um we'll we'll get into that in a few minutes as well. Okay. Uh what's your next one? All right, let me see what uh somebody actually looks like had another one underneath. Uh I lost it. Oh, okay. Um kind of have to go back and and, and address this one's uh no this one's separate. Uh, Mike put it up a quote from Freddie Kraft uh, on an episode of the Door Bumper Clear episode mm-hmm. that came out today. Uh, Dirty Mo Media, Atlanta the second, Crimea River on Apple Podcasts. Okay, I'm gonna read the full quote here first to start with that he posted from uh, Freddie, and it says if and I still think this is a big if right now. If we run this next-gen car, it's not full-time next year. I I think you're going to see it roll out like the COT did, where it's certain road racetracks, road courses maybe, short tracks, something like that. I don't think we run this car full-time next year if we run it at all. And then somebody replied, because people can't get parts or because of safety, uh, Brett Griffin, and the response to that was, I think it's, pro- I think probably it's a mixture of a lot of things. I think safety's probably the main concern. I think that the parts are a main concern, but I just right now there's a delay on chassis because they're waiting on the results from the safety test to come back. So that's the conversation, and I know we had a little bit of the conversation when it came to the safety issue of the test results we were hearing about now, and more and more has come out about. Um, but overall, whether or not we're ready to go with the uh, the next gen car. Yeah, and I said this when the first issue came out uh, that I think NASCAR needs to seriously look at this uh, and decide uh, because if it is a safety issue, they certainly don't want to rush this onto the track and have something happen on the track. Uh, I like his idea of rolling it out on a piecemeal like we did with the COT. Um, But, again, I think it's still possible that they could delay it yet another year, depending on what happens with the safety crash test. Now, I did read, too, on JSKI, I think it was, that NASCAR sent a memo to all of their uh, drivers uh, explaining what happened. Let me see if I can pull that up. Uh, with that crash test and why they're delaying. Uh, Let me see if I can find that. All right, did you want me to give some thoughts there while you're looking for that? Yeah, why don't you go ahead and give some thoughts. Okay, To, to start with, if that is a decision that needs to be made, good on them for making it. If there is a safety concern, a parts chassis concern, and the parts issue, I know Mike's talked about this several times uh, due to COVID and some other things, 
Okay, there may be a reason for it. My concern or question is, is, and it goes back, and again, I think Mike used the word of transparency, why is it being kept a secret? That's where I have the issue. I may not be happy if it gets delayed another year or it goes to the rollout program that Freddie Kraft was talking about. My question, though, is why is it being delayed and kind of, I feel like, being hidden. That's where my concern comes in. If it is for a safety reason, great, good call. But why, especially being that you had an extra year from the original scheduled date of why were these safety tests not done before? Why was this not addressed before? Okay. So with that, you know, if they need to, doing the, the partial rollout, going back to the COT, uh, I think he's right. I think it was road courses and short tracks were the first ones the first year. The next year was everything but the super speedways. And then the following years when they went full time. Uh, I'm not sure why they didn't want to try that with this plan from the beginning. They said they were going to be ready. Then they said, okay, COVID hit. We're going to delay it a year. You should have been even more ready. So that's where I just, I don't understand what, where the hiccup is. But um, if they do have to, unfortunately, delay it again or in any way, shape, or form, appreciate the decision. It's For safety, it's the best decision. But then go back and think about why you ended up in that position to make that decision now six months out or uh, from the from when they should have it? Uh, interesting. Uh, Jenna Fryer, who posted the first uh, tweet about this, uh, was the one who indicated that the test crash indicated fatality. Uh, but then now she's followed up and says, NASCAR says rumors that the crash dummy's demise have been greatly exaggerated. I have been assured the crash dummy is very much alive after many tests, simulations, and last week's deliberate crash test at Talladega. And this is the memo that was sent out to drivers about that Talladega crash test, an update on NG testing, NG standing for next generation. Uh, test was completed at Talladega on June 30th using a current spec NG vehicle fitted with a crash dummy and driven by a robot. The processing of all that data is well underway. This includes the correlation and rerunning of models. The team is also identifying additional cases for crash comparisons. Preliminary review of the dummy data from the test indicates good and comparable performance when compared to other right frontal dummy data, non-MG, uh, there is still a lot more analysis to be completed, and that has started. Worth noting, though, worth noting that though, although testing all testing sled and full vehicle, the dummy itself has functioned normal nominally. All of this data is being packaged up and will be sent to an independent panel made up of experts in the biomechanics safety field. Dr. Radden, Dr. Crandall, Dr. Myers, Dr. Sitzel for their review. We expect this to take roughly one week. When all of this is complete, we will set up another review with you guys. Now this is dated July the 9th. So to give you an idea of the one week uh, uh, comment there. 
So I think NASCAR's trying to be transparent here, uh, and apparently those rumors are just that, rumors and exaggerated, according to NASCAR. So does that change any of your thoughts, Jay? Actually, it, to me, it actually confirms them. What, what, how, does a, how does a rumor normally start? It's when the <laughs> full information, people are getting bits and pieces of information and filling it in on their own. So if NASCAR mm-hmm. had been transparent about it up front from the beginning, this report would have been out there and there would have been no option to have rumors because the information is out there. That's where the mm-hmm. problem comes in. My other thing is, is they said, okay, we're doing these tests and we're, and we're going to keep doing them and we're getting ready. We've had a year and a half. We had an extra year, and I say we, uh, but why is it being done now and have not having been done before is where my concern comes into that. But I think what they're doing now is what, the, what you want to call damage control. They said, okay, people are starting rumors. We'll put the facts out there. If you'd have put the facts out there to begin with, they wouldn't have started the rumors. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear your point. Uh, but, uh, again, I, I imagine that it didn't happen because of the COVID pandemic. They couldn't get the people together to do this. But when they're doing it with robotics and and uh, dummies, I don't know why it couldn't have happened. So I, I don't know. Um, uh, I I guess I'll, I'll wait until this report comes out that they say is going to come out after a week. Excuse me, I've got the hiccups here. Um, and when these biomechanic engineers can take a look at it and review it and give their input um, and see what happens. I think that that interview, and I don't know that this is the case, but is it possible that the interview with Freddie Kraft took place before this memo was sent? Uh, that I, I don't know. Um, but I still say, even if there is a delay, that delay well, for... July 12th. So it would have been after that memo. Okay. That answers my question. Yeah. Okay. Um even if these tests were delayed due to the unavailability of the crash test dummies, electrical problems that they couldn't get the simulation, why did NASCAR not say, hey, we haven't been able to do these tests yet. We're going to do them here. We'll make a decision and move forward from there. It is possible that we may have to delay the car coming out. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, they're t- they, right now it's they're trying to play, ke- in my opinion, they're trying to play catch-up because the information got out, and yes, then if it's not all of the story or the facts are coming from the directly from the source, human nature, people are going to put their own spin on it. If you put it out there from the beginning, then they can say, hey, we don't like this or we don't agree with it, but at least the facts are out there. Then you get into, okay, people just want things their way, and that's a separate topic. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, Absolutely. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of have to wait for the rest of the story to play out here, I think, before we can really uh, comment any further on it because uh, we don't really know uh, what that final report is going to say. NASCAR is saying it's exaggerated right now um, or why they delayed. I wish they would tell us why they delayed all of this testing to now 
uh, versus earlier and why this parts thing is it, this parts thing is going to be a big issue as well because uh, uh, people are planning already for next year <laughs> um, and they're going to need this information for their budgeting and uh, you know, determining what their expenses are going to be and so on and so forth. Uh, NASCAR's really got to get on the ball here and make sure that this happens uh, in a way uh, that is going to work for everybody and it isn't a rush to get things done or behind an eight ball kind of decisions that are being made. So we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. Uh, but uh, I think that they need to uh, uh, proceed with caution, if you will. Yeah, and, and I know I haven't talked with Mike. I, that's one of the, his key things is the transparency. Be upfront. Yes, no matter what decision you make, it's likely that people are going to be un- some people are going to be unhappy with it. That's the nature of the beast. But to mm-hmm. have even the ones that support you not know and then get fed false information or over-exaggerated information, you create a bigger problem. Same way with for the teams. If you're not going to be able to roll it out next year, like you said, let them know. All right, we don't have to start jumping through hoops or scrambling. And going based off of that, what I don't want to see then would be, and I can hear it already of people screaming, if there is limited parts, who gets them first? Is it Hendricks Motorsports mm-hmm. and Joe Gibbs because they got the most money, they got the biggest teams, and you know that will start a controversy topic there. Yes, it will. Um, if you don't mind, I want to go back uh, to the last topic that we were talking about and bring up a, a question that I meant to bring up and I forgot to do it. Um, with this situation with Chastain and Kyle Busch, <clears throat> If that happened during the playoffs and it meant the difference between, um, you know, it was uh, a cutoff driver. Well, Kurt Busch was below the cut line before this race and now has the win and is above the cut line. But if this happened during the playoffs and made a difference between, say, the final four drivers, would your perspective be different? Would mine personally? No, because like I said, I don't think there was anything there. If NASCAR felt it was foul play, they would have called it then and there, as they did with uh, the, man, I hate to keep bringing it up, but the Clinton Boyer and Michael Waltrip situation, Mm -hmm. because that did affect who was going to get into the playoffs, and that's when they made that decision to allow the 13th driver of Jeff Gordon to enter. So they felt that would Mm -hmm. influence who got into the playoffs, same as we're looking at now. This allowed Kurt to get into the playoffs with that win. So I don't think so. And truthfully, if the situation comes up like this in the playoffs, they dang well better make the same call, being that they have now established that. Now, it would be different if there was some question of truly blocking or pinching a driver up. I mean, and I know – especially when it comes down to the final four. And that's a tough, tough position to be in when you're out there to win a race, but four others are going for a championship. They say you don't mm-hmm. affect the championship four. But that doesn't mean pull over and let them go either. Okay? So you've got to mm-hmm. find that balance. 
and yeah, I I would stand behind this 100%. Ras Chastain did nothing wrong. There was no team Not orders. They said, hey, Kurt prefers the low line. He's faster than you. You know, he's the leader. And, and I'm sure, like you said, Ross was aware of that, uh, that he was not one of the top three cars. So mm-hmm. all that was passed was, hey, he's coming with another, you know, the pack. The, the pack is coming. Kurt's leading. He prefers the low line. Right. You know, I mean, that's. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I totally agree with you. I don't think it would change my perspective. Uh, in any way, shape, or form. And I do think that NASCAR uh, really needs to be consistent moving forward uh, with that as well. So, okay, that answers the question. (laughs) Okay, what's the next top topic? All right, let's see what we got. Uh, Well, being that we are kind of on Atlanta, this one's kind of revisiting. This is one I brought up. I know I've added multiple things to it, and we heard a lot about it this weekend uh, from drivers. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Uh, frustrated Denny Hamlin and Kyle Larson don't hold back on their thoughts on the major renovation of Atlanta Motor Speedway. So yeah, the drivers are now thoughts. saying, right? That's why I said there were a lot that came through over the weekend. To me, what I took from the article, and then, and then I'll let you go with your your thoughts, the drivers are saying, we understand a repave was coming, maybe even a reconfiguration, but the drivers were not consulted in what we feel is the best racing conditions. So they're feeling frustrated that they're doing something to the track that isn't going to be good for the drivers, that they did it more for the fans uh, to bunch up uh, bunch up the racing and pack racing, if you will. Yeah, I would say that that is exactly the case. I don't think they are upset that there is going to be a repave or a reconfiguration. I think the main grievance is that they were not consulted. And as a result of not being consulted, uh, they're being forced to uh, race on this track that they had no input on. Uh, And I don't know, honestly, if that is, justified or not. I I think it is to a certain degree, uh, but I I think that there, I think whoever made this decision to make the changes that they're making, uh, which includes an increase in the banking in terms from 24 degrees to 28 degrees, in addition to increased banking, the repaving portion of the project will decrease the width of the track. Uh, from 55 feet to 52 feet on the front stretch and 42 feet on the back stretch and 40 in the turns. I think that's what they're upset about, Um, that they had no input. Nobody asked them for their thoughts. This was just a decision that was made in the ivory white tower without any input from the drivers who will be racing that track. And they feel that their input may have influenced uh, the configuration that was decided upon. Uh, and I, I, I think that there, there's some legitimacy, but at the same time, uh, SMI uh, can do what they want with their tracks, and they don't necessarily need to consult uh, with anybody else. I think it would have been wise on their part to have included some drivers because then they would avoid 
all of this uproar that they're getting now, um, but uh, they didn't do that. So um, as a result, these drivers are a little kicked off. And I, while I understand where they're coming from, and I agree to a certain degree that their input may have influenced the decisions that were made here, uh, SMI uh, still needs to do what they feel is the right thing to do, I guess. So what are your thoughts on that? Sharon, you've been a, a race fan for a long time, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Bill France used to run NASCAR my way, Iron Fist. You don't like it, get out. (laughs) There you go. What we have now, does NASCAR bend and give the drivers everything they want? No, but they listen. Mm -hmm. Do you not think that's Mm -hmm. a better way to do things? I do think it's a better way to do things. I'm not not condoning FMI. I think that FMI probably should have included the drivers, but they didn't. And all I'm saying is that they don't necessarily have to. It's their track. They can do what they want. But I think it would have been in their best interest to have included the drivers in that decision. Right. And they could have avoided all of this uproar had they done that. You you said it would have been wise on their behalf. And you know when we talked about this uh, the last time, I said if you're basing everything off of simulation, you're asking for trouble. Now, drivers mm-hmm. giving input and saying, does that make that gold? No, but they at least have no. more knowledge and on-track experience to give very solid. Again, you're going to get one driver say this because that's what he wants and he likes. Take that with a grain of salt. This driver likes this. He wants to see that. Take that with a grain of mm-hmm. salt and then come to the compromise. <laughs> Excuse me. And that's where I think it is. Why would you turn down such a valuable tool such as driver inputs, especially some of these drivers that have Denny Hamlin has so much experience. Kyle Larson has so much experience as a winning driver on asphalt, on dirt, on this, on you know this style of car. That is an available tool. Why would you not at least hear them out and then say, hey, we want to try this. We think this will work. You know, and, and bring, bring the, the simulation stuff to the drivers. Put the, put the track as it's going to be designed into the sim and let them test it and say, okay, is this too narrow? Is this going to cause a problem if we shorten the, or uh, increase the banking or uh, narrow down the, the, the sides? And again, then you go, a driver can say, hey, in the simulator car, four wide will work or three wide will work on the straightaway realistically we know we've seen it at Talladega and, and Daytona the cars jump around it gives you a little more leeway only go down to 44 45 46 instead of all the way down to 40 you know take that input and come to a compromise it may still not work like I said just because the drivers say hey don't do this or do that this way I'm not saying driver's word is gold either because there's going to be some personal influence there of I know I can run on this type of track with this type of banking. Yeah, make it that. You know, I'm not saying trust right. the drivers 100%. <laughs> well, and here's here's where I think a lot of this is getting caught up. Uh, there's some fans out there, the video game fans, is who I'm thinking of, that like the crashing. That's part of the entertainment for them. 
to me, that's not the entertainment of racing. To me, I would rather see good passing being available. And this is where I think the rub is with the drivers. Because when you narrow that track surface, you're making it, uh, tell Larson brought this up, with a narrow, uh, narrowing those straightaways and, and some of those areas on the track keeps everybody really tight together. It makes it harder for quality passing to take place. And so you're going to bunch everybody up and make a crash much more likely. And, and racers want to be able to race one another. They don't want to go out there and crash one another. They want to go out there and race each other. As a fan, you mentioned I've been a fan for a long time, that's the kind of racing that I like to see. I like to see good quality passing on the track. Um, to me, and you've heard me say this before, crashing somebody out of the way to make a pass, uh, to me, I can go out there and do that. I could go out there and crash drivers all day long in order to make a pass. But but these drivers are premier drivers. They should be able to make that pass without crashing each other. They should be able to make a good quality pass. Uh, and by doing what, what Atlanta is doing, uh, I think that they are going to make it. And, and this is where the drivers are having a gripe and wish they could have had the input. Um, but you've got people looking at it from two different perspectives. Are we satisfying the video crashing fans or are we satisfying the people like me that like the good quality pass, uh, which is more entertaining for the broader audience? And that's what I think you've got different perspectives on there. So it's going to be interesting how this all played out, but I think that's part of the part of the uh, uh, conundrum that these guys are running into. Well, and I, I will start on the, back to the to the driver's side of that. That's their concern of the from what from what I read, the intent is to pack it up, make it more exciting, side by side racing. Okay, but then I go to the fans. With Talladega and, and uh, Daytona, what is their issue? They're pack racing. You get jammed up second or third <laughs> row back, and the driver can't make the pass. Okay, you want so to that's see the what, passing, right? Okay, the, yes, there are some fans who want to see the crashing, and I'm not a fan of it. I don't necessarily want to see it. It does provide. How do I say this? It does provide some entertainment. The the possibility of that happening or the um I, I can't think of the right word but the that drivers know it i mean that's why they, they drive just the intensity and and that possibility is what drives them so that's always going to be there okay now we'll go from it to play play the other side play devil's advocate the 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 track owners smi is looking at what can we do? We were at, we used to have two dates. We went down to one. Fans aren't showing up in the stands. We want to give them what mm-hmm. they want. Okay, what will provide the entertainment and bring them into the stands? And this is something I heard on Moody's show. I don't remember the caller where they were even from, but it might have been Moody himself. Of you know, you want to see Atlanta the way it was and not have that. 
then you should be showing up in the stands because by not showing up in the stands, SMI says we got to do something different to get fans back in the stands, and this is what they thought would bring them back into the stands. I don't know that uh-huh. where they got their info on that because I'm with you. <laughs> I would rather see the, the racier grooves, which is what well, the drivers are saying, give us the opportunity to pass, not it be who can survive the wreck or if you're second or third row deep, you can't make a pass because there's no room to go anywhere. Exactly. So we accept we accept it, if you will, at Daytona and Talladega four times a year. But yeah, drivers drivers and fans get frustrated with that because they're like, you can't go unless your row goes, your line goes, and then you're still three deep. Even if your line gets to the front, if you're the third one in line, you're still third. You know, it's not until that last lap that somebody even tries or can possibly make a move because they're three and four wide. So exactly. I, I think they me, need to re- their... rethink this. Go ahead. Yeah, I, 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 I just I think they, they do need to rethink it. this a little bit. Yeah, that's a good point. Because none of us really like that. Let's follow the leader for X number of laps. Uh, you know, until we get to the end of the stage or whatever and everybody breaks out and a wreck happens and then we have caution after caution after caution. And to me, that's one of the, that could be a whole other hot topic as far as I'm concerned. Cautions and how long those cautions are lasting. Uh, I was reading the notes about the Knoxville race, 80 laps of caution uh, in that Knoxville race. That's crazy. Um, it's taking far too long for some of these cautions and creating more cautions I don't think is the answer Uh, I wish they would reconsider this I wish they would have taken the drivers into consideration I I kind of side on the drivers a little bit Um, I, I understand that you know from their perspective they're trying to do what they think will bring fans into the stands but I don't think they're talking to the right fans um, and what fans are really looking for. Nobody wants to watch Follow the Leader. Nobody wants that. Well, my my final point on this, and I, I think you hit it, of they should have at least consulted the, the drivers uh, and done a little more research, I think, on a brighter, broader perspective of fans. But the only thing I want to end with there is uh, as a car owner, if I ever am, you're not my driver, Sharon, if you're just going to go out there and wreck everybody and run over people. I'm not paying that bill. Well, I'm just saying I'm a no talent. <laughs> I have absolutely no talent. And, and you know, you can take anybody from the street, not necessarily me, and they can go out there and wreck drivers all day long. But that's not what we pay for. That's not what we want. We want the premier drivers out there showing us their talent and their skill at 180 miles per hour on the, on a on a banked track, um, and and uh, I, I'm not necessarily looking for the wrecks. <laughs> okay, so what's next? Well, there were two things I was going to use to tie into the next one. We'll we'll go with Knoxville. We'll we'll go back then to as far as Friday, <laughs> and I know. Mike is the one that had it up. I didn't realize the numbers you gave there with the cautions. Um, that's not a, Unless that a was good a number. To, no, no, I, I, I'm not disputing it. I just didn't realize it. 
It was uh, AutoWeek.com. I'm not sure who the author was, but it's on AutoWeek.com. Knoxville, it's also dumb. Knoxville truck race erupts into chaos. An embarrassment to the sport, or was it awesome? And I'll start here real quick with Mike's Mike's, uh, comment. says, massive black eye for the sport. It was hyped up as something big, but ended up being a complete joke. Sheldon Creed and other drivers used the term crap show. I'll read crap show here uh, to describe it, and they weren't wrong. All right, so those, that was Mike Ozell's comments word. on it. Yeah, okay, or another four-letter word, yeah. <laughs> okay, you wanted to read Mike Ozell's comments? That that Those were his comments. That was... Oh, those were his comments. Okay. Yeah, those um, those were his. Yeah, I went back to these notes, and it said there were 20 lead changes among seven drivers due to the aforementioned 14 cautions and 80 yellow flag laps. And get this, the average speed of the race was slowed to 36.802 miles per hour. That's atrocious. That is just horrible. Um, And it goes back to what I was saying about the yellow flags and how much time we're taking on these yellow flags. Um, I heard a lot of complaints. Derek Krause took a brunt of, of it. I think we had uh, a lot of drivers uh, that were in desperation mode and thought this might be their best chance at getting a victory and getting into the playoffs, and they drove that way. They were all over the place, and and uh, it it just, it just did not showcase their skills. It it didn't. Uh, when you've got 80 caution flag laps, there's a problem. And I think that we've, it's something that NASCAR really needs to take a look at. Um, and, and Derek Cross wasn't the only driver out there uh, that, you know, was kind of in that mode of desperation of trying to get that win. So I, I thought it was interesting that we took some of these. Donny Shots had said before the race uh, that it, this, the stars lined up perfectly for him to participate at one of his favorite tracks, and he thought it was a great opportunity to do it, and he did it. Um, but I don't think afterwards, I think he was even more <laughs> convinced that it wasn't something that he would come back and do again. And that's a shame because this crossover is supposed to bring new fans to our sport. Uh, If you're a dirt racing fan, this didn't necessarily do that. Um, And so I I really think that NASCAR needs to take a look. I, I almost wish they hadn't done it during the time of the year that we've got these drivers in this desperation mode um, because I think that definitely influenced this race and did not put a best foot forward for NASCAR. What are your thoughts? We are at 918, which means it's 12 minutes before we go off the air. You might want to make your announcement here because, yeah, or you'll have to interrupt me. Uh, There is a million of them. First off, mm-hmm. 
this tra- this dirt track that they've done the dirt track at Eldora. Think back to the first one of that. Did it go real well or perfectly? No. Did Bristol? They had to cancel off the first night because it was too muddy and clogging up uh, the mm-hmm. trucks and they couldn't even run. Okay. So the the whole idea of don't come back because it didn't go well, not oh, the right I'm not answer. Don't come back. Take, right. Well, I, I'll get to that with Sheldon Creed's uh, statement. So okay. That's not well, the that, answer. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. Improvements. NASCAR can improve on response, cleaning up the caution flags. You mentioned it, and I hadn't really thought about it that. Maybe if this race were earlier in the year, we wouldn't have had that because you don't have drivers in desperation mode with two races to go. That is a very uh, solid point that I hadn't really thought about that, the intensity level. But take that to any track then, whether it be Atlanta, Watkins Glen, whatever, you're going to have that in these last two races no matter what track they're on. So maybe it doesn't. Maybe it does need to be one that drivers have more experience on, but that's what NASCAR's counting at Daytona. Daytona's already a wild card, and they added to it by amping up the intensity to putting in the playoff race, and we're looking forward to that. So that, was, that one's kind of a – there's a solid thought there, Sharon, and especially since it was the first race at – and that's something I would argue just like the, the drivers try and tell fans, oh, it's the same track. It's a D-shaped 1.5-mile or 2-mile oval. No, not every track is the same. Yes, Eldora was dirt. Yes, Knoxville is dirt. That does not make them the same. Um, Exactly. Now, going to Sheldon Creed's, I'll I'll go to his next. Uh, Go to Iowa. This is where I say, listen to the drivers, but take it with a grain of salt. Sheldon's not wanting to race on dirt. Didn't do very good in that race. Uh, And I I say doesn't do good on dirt. I know he he came from the dirt background, but he didn't do, yeah, didn't do very good with the trucks on dirt, put it that way. Um, so take that with a grain of salt. He didn't have the best finish. If he'd have been in victory lane, would he have said, yeah, we should never come back here. I want to race Iowa. Mm -hmm. I highly doubt it. I highly doubt it. (laughs) So yes, if they have some inputs on ways to improve it, good. Take that from it. The, I, I just want to go to Iowa instead. Well, okay, maybe not. And I'm trying to think now where he's from. There again, if that's his favorite track or whatever, you've got to take it with a grain of salt. Oh, yeah, that's right. He came out of California. So talk with them and take what you can from them that be useful. Some things aren't going to be useful. Okay, we're not going to go back to Iowa or we're not going to go somewhere else. What can we do to make it better? He's going to say, okay, this happened, this happened, this happened. Get down to it and get the the real meat of it. Because like I said, he's not going to make that statement if he's the one out front having won the race. I, I can almost guarantee mm-hmm. you that. <laughs> so <laughs> with it, you know, Austin Hill's going to be like, yeah, we had to come here every week, right? I didn't see mm-hmm. what uh, what Donnie Schatz's comments were. Hopefully he too will take that as, hey, this was their first time at, at Knoxville. Uh, some adjustments need to be made. And I hope he doesn't take that as because this one didn't go well. He won't ever try it again. We'll have to wait and see, but I know prior to the race, he actually was, like you said, pretty pumped about it, excited. It was an opportunity that, that came together. He was real, really enthused about it, so hopefully that comes back, and as with anything of you tried something new, know it did not go perfectly, but 
as I've said, several other situations haven't gone perfect first time out. Give them a chance to build on it and correct on it and go from there. Uh, I think Quentin said this track held together better than Eldora did. Um, so there are some positives, and when you look at the negatives, okay, see what can be done to change that, make it better, and go from there. Now, in five years, if we have, and I wouldn't even say five years then, if we have this same type of race three years uh, down the road where it is just a wreck fest like this, then we say, okay, this is a scrub. But also, and you mentioned it, put some of it on the drivers. You know, drivers are the ones driving the car, so some of it's got to fall on them too. Yes, I agree. And I do think that they do need to give it time. Um, You know, there was a time when NASCAR drivers didn't do that well on road courses. And what are they doing with road courses now? (laughs) Everybody wants more road courses. So I do think that they need to give it time. And with more time, these guys will figure out how to race on dirt in these trucks. And you're right. Black dirt is a whole lot different than red clay dirt. Uh, so, uh, you know, again, those differences and those little nuances need to be figured out by a lot of these drivers, and that can only happen over time. Uh, And unless drivers do what uh, Matt Crafton did a few years ago and and race some dirt track racing just to get better at racing on dirt. Uh, I really thought that the, the dirt track aces, that were in the field would have done a little bit better. But I guess what I didn't take into consideration is a lot, it is a lot different racing on dirt in a sprint car than it is racing on dirt in a truck. Uh, so, you know, there's some nuances there uh, that even the dirt racers uh, need to kind of fine tune a little bit. So I, I, I do think that they need to give us some time. I like Iowa Speedway. Uh, do I wish they had more racing at Iowa Speedway? Yeah, I do. Um, I, so I agree somewhat with uh, Sheldon Creed there. But at the same time, I don't think you should knock out the Knoxville race or knock out the dirt racing in general. Knoxville is a very iconic track, and I think having NASCAR there is a good thing. I just hope that people give it the time that they need. Uh, for things to work out, and I use road, I use road course racing as the example of, of you know, give it some time, and you'll get some dirt track aces uh, that will be in the truck series if they decide to do this with the truck series exclusively. So uh, time time will tell what what direction they go with this, um, but I'm going to throw in that. But, too, again, about NASCAR's got to do something about their caution. Uh, I, during this offseason, they have got to start taking a look at how much time they are spending on caution because it's way too much time. I don't know if it has to do with the TV or, you know, the broadcast or what, but somewhere along the way they've got to figure that out uh, because there's time on these cautions. 80 laps is way too much time for a dirt race. <laughs> so um, your follow-up. 
And let me go ahead and do the announcement here before we... Uh, I was going to say, this time I think you would have to interrupt me. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, for our first-time listeners, uh, we do an announcement about this time of the night to let you know that we are going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. We probably won't go much past that tonight, but uh, we do put that out as bonus overtime material for our podcast. Uh, so even though we're going to go off the air and you're not going to hear that part of the conversation immediately, you can hear the rest of that conversation on our podcast. I go out on Twitter when we complete our conversation and let everyone know that the podcast is available. And at that point, you can go to the player either at Blog Talk Radio or at FanforRacing.com and just fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the bonus overtime material and the rest of that conversation. So, again, we don't want anybody to be caught off guard and wonder why the heck we've gone off the air in the mid-70s. We want you to know kind of what's going on there so that nobody's caught by surprise. Uh, And that you do have a way of listening to the rest of that conversation. So uh, with that, Jay, we're ready for you to uh, come out with your uh, follow-up there. Well, I wanted to start with, I think you made a very excellent point with talking about road courses. Yeah, back in the day, there were only a couple people or a couple drivers or aces from other series would come in and have the advantage. Uh, And now we're looking at it of there's 10 10 drivers weekly uh, on the road courses that we think have a shot at it, Chase Elliott being at the top, but, you know, that (laughs) there are others that have proven their capability on road courses. So that, that was an excellent point. You've got to give it time. Some of them willing to commit, like you said, mentioned Matt Crafton. He said, I want to get better at this. I'm going to go out and get a modified and run some dirt track racing. Now, finding that balance, I know they discussed this on the pre-race show. Who has the advantage, the dirt track driver who's coming into the trucks or the truck driver who's bringing it onto dirt? The way the results played out, it looks like, Maybe it was the truck drivers adapting to dirt. Uh, I know we kind of, mm-hmm. all of us kind of got burned a, a little bit. I went with that one in between of Brett Moffat. He's driven the trucks, but he's mm-hmm. also driven on dirt. Matt Crafton would have been another one. Stuart Friesen, uh, another one. We've seen him develop into, you know, being a solid truck driver as well as a dirt driver. Uh, he got taken before I could. So that it's that balance um I think in the in the few dirt races we've seen going back through Eldora, Bristol being that it was new uh, and a different setup entirely, being that they put dirt on top of asphalt, kind of got to take that one out of the equation. Um, but it's still it's one of those give it time. We've seen it at Eldora. Eventually, the dirt track drivers that were regular showing up figured it out. Sheldon Creed, I think we run at Knoxville another two three years. I think he's one that can and will be in victory lane, and then you're not going to hear that comment from him no more. This race just didn't go his way. So uh, he is one that, like I said, I think give it two or three races, he's going to be a top contender, if not winner, and his opinion is going to change because he's going to have the time to mm-hmm. figure it out. So you're right. Yeah. You've got to give and it that's... time. You can't go based off of one event. That's true. I agree. Anything more? 
not on that one, no. Okay. I think I think we've talked that one to death. <laughs> I think we've done a good job on that one of kind of giving some different uh, uh, perspectives there. Uh, what's your next one? Uh, I was actually looking. Um, whoops. Being that it is the two of us, I think there was one more, and I know Mike specifically brought it up, and me and Mike are going to have us a conversation about it, whether it's together on here or separately. I don't, if you want to wait and do the other one here, uh, Michael and Annette being given a waiver, whereas Grant yeah. Infinger was not. Let's go ahead and talk about it. We can talk about it again with Michael and Andy are, are able to be on. But, uh, yeah, I'm curious to know your thoughts about that. I kind of gave okay, a little bit so, of my thoughts earlier in the show. Okay. The uh, the tweet was from Bob Pockris. It says, NASCAR has approved a playoff waiver for Michael and Nett. And looking through, these are all other comments. I don't know the exact story. I know it started back with the SRX, SRX race, Michael Lynette did not run in that. Somebody else filled in for him there. And then in the Xfinity series, Austin Dillon filled in. All I heard was that he had injured his leg. Uh, Sharon, do you have any more info on that specifically? Yeah, he has a hairline, he has a fracture, um, I want to say a hairline fracture, some kind of a fracture on his tibia, which is his leg, I believe. Um that it's one gonna, of the bones in the leg somewhere, yes. Right, right. And it's going to keep him out for a while. Uh, they announced uh, that Josh Berry for him in the next Xfinity Series race. Uh, and I think that's where I saw it. Let me see if I can pull that up here again. Austin Dillon replacing Michael Annette as Atlanta. Um, okay, so Annette has an apparent leg injury. Uh, was scheduled. Okay, it doesn't say. It doesn't say it here. I don't know where I saw that it was a hairline fracture in his leg, but uh, it did say that he was going to be gone for a couple of weeks. Wherever I saw that. Um, so uh, Josh going to drive for him at the next race. Uh, which is uh, going to be Austin Dillon. Oh, that's, hold on. That's not the one I wanted. That's why it's not telling me. <laughs> Austin, me Austin Dillon here. filled in for him at Atlanta. Right. I want the news where they said Josh Berry. Yeah, I, I hadn't seen or heard that, so. Where did I see that? Let me see if there was down here. Okay, Josh while Perry you're Perry. doing that. Okay, okay. I do have it here. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Okay, Michael Lynette has been approved for a playoff waiver, meaning he's still eligible for the postseason. Even missing last weekend's Xfinity race at Atlanta, he has a 59-point advantage. Junior Motorsports is hopeful that Annette will return by August 7th at Watkins Glen on um, this Saturday's race. MRI, MRI revealed a fracture on Monday, and surgery to repair it will take place on Tuesday. 
following this week's event at NHMS. The series will have two weekends off due to the Tokyo Olympics, and doctors have said the three-week recuperation should allow Annette time to resume his duties when the series races again on August 7th at Watkins Glen. So um, Josh Berry is going to be in that car this weekend for junior motorsport, uh, which is good for him. Um, it was a stress fracture, that's what they call it, in the uh, Iowa driver's right femur. <laughs> so uh, uh, so that gives him a chance to continue running uh, in the Xfinity Series as well during this time. So that's the information that I had on Michael and that. Um, did you have more that you okay. wanted to say about the waiver? Uh, yeah, uh, now I've concerned it. I lost it. Okay. Uh, again, Michael, Mike Brazell is one that posted this, uh, the tweet from Pocris that the appro- waiver had been approved. He put up, this is a joke, right? Is Bob's calendar off and he thinks it's April 1st? Did NASCAR really approve a playoff waiver from Michael Annette but not Grant Enfinger? We're going to have to readdress this when Mike is on the show with us. Mike is one that says the rule is written this way. They have to follow it. The rule is that they have established that, that an injury, a driver being out of something that is not of his doing is acceptable. We've seen that with Kyle Busch. Grant Enfinger did not race because he didn't have a sponsor. They wouldn't. As much as I locked Grant Enfinger in, NASCAR made the right call here because this is an injury that they are not capable to be in the race. Not that they didn't have sponsor or chose not to. They aren't capable of it due to a medical problem, and they have shown that with their precedents. That is where they will grant the waiver. Do I agree they shouldn't have done given one to Grant Enfinger? No. But, as Mike said, they followed the rule. So, Mike, they are following the rule. And I'm going to talk to Mike like he's here. <laughs> that is one I feel like Mike isn't in favor of Michael Annette as a driver. You have to take that out of it. Um, so, I don't agree with them not giving Grant Enfinger one because they say it does at their discretion. This is one where I think they should because it was a medical thing, and he is not capable of safely being in the car and driving. So with that, the waiver is, and now I've got to pull the, our, the points back up one second. Uh, the waiver is if he is still in the top 12 or has a win. And you mentioned it. He was out this weekend. He's still in 10th place. What did you say, 59 points above the cut line? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Then I don't have to try and do math. Okay. So however long he is out, if he falls outside of the top 12, he still then has to either race his way back in on points, get back in within the 12 in points, or win a race. So they're not saying he is in the playoffs because he, he missed a race because of his injury. If he had a win, he would be, but he's not yet. So this is not – they're giving him a free pass into the playoffs – they're saying he is still eligible to try and work his way in, which is going to take some work because he's going to be even closer, if not below the cut line. So he still has to earn his way in. Okay. I'm going to take a little bit of an exception to your point of view here. I, because of not having a win, but Michael, and that does not have a win. 
<laughs> so uh, if you look at the driver point standings in the truck series, uh, Grant Infinger is eight in the series point standings, and he is above the cut line. Uh, he does not have a win. He's raced 13 of 14 races, and the one race that he did not win, or race, I'm sorry, is a, because Thor Sport, something that's outside of his control, Thor Sport did put Christian Eckes into the truck. And it left Sheldon Creed having to find a certain number of races this year that he has to race on his own. He's taken everything that was out of his control and put it into his control and tried to do the very best he can to race as many of those races as he possibly can. The one race he missed was because I think he was taken off by off guard by the decision by Thor Sport not to race him full time in the truck series. That was outside of Grand Infinger's control. That was not within his control. So he had to re- he had to react to that. He's racing races, and he's done everything he possibly can. Why would NASCAR discourage him by not granting him the waiver when he is eighth in the series point standings? I don't understand. Okay. That. And I think that there does need to be an explanation. <laughs> it's not okay. Wait, the you rule. said you were. You say you were saying you were taking it with the exception to me, or the way I said it. I I'm with you. I I firmly believe that Grant Invigor should be given the waiver because, like the point you made, minus that race, which you're right, it wasn't within his control because the team opted not to put him in the car. He didn't have time or whatever to get that one. He has since found a ride one way or another and still run in the top ten, maintained eighth in points. That is mm-hmm. where I feel, you know, uh, you, you know, and you said if he had a win, it would be different. It shouldn't. He's in, even if he doesn't have the win, and I think week to week, one of the top five, ten drivers, which is what you want in the playoffs. So I'm with you on that. I'm just saying the way NASCAR came about it was that was their statement was outside of their control, which well, I hate to that was outside of Grant Infinger's control. And keep in mind when I was saying that, I thought NASCAR was making the decision based on the fact that he had no wins. But now they've made the decision for Michael Lynette, and he has no wins, and they're giving him the waiver. So now this makes no sense why they wouldn't give the waiver to Grant Infinger. Because because Michael Lynette had attempted every race. That's where the hang-up is. Grant Infinger did not attempt every race. Michael has so far. But it was outside of his control. Like I said, I'm with you. I I agree that they should give Michael Lynette one, but I really believe they made a mistake in not giving Grant Infinger one. Now, go back to, and I really hate to, to go bring this up, but... Kurt Busch was involved in a domestic dispute and was, uh, what, they suspended him? Mm-hmm. That was outside, was that, okay, my question, I guess it's kind of a question, was that outside of his control? He's the one that was involved in it, and he was proven innocent in it. They said, okay, you're still eligible. 
But to me, that get, being involved in a, in a fight or a di- domestic dispute is within your control. But <laughs> they gave him a waiver. Yeah, but there was contested information there. Okay, like I said, he was proved innocent in it, so they backed mm -hmm. it up. But do you you see my point? If you're involved in something outside of racing that gets you in trouble, that's within your control. You made that decision to be in that position and involved in that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think somebody else kind of made that decision for him in that particular situation. Um, but I really think that Grant Infinger should have been given a waiver, uh, and I'm just baffled by why NASCAR is not giving it to him, even according to their own rules. Uh, these are circumstances outside of his control, and he's done everything he could to make things work. And to not uh, recognize that and not give him the waiver is just confusing to me, and I need a better explanation from NASCAR. I and I, I'm not taking NASCAR's side because, as I've said, I disagree with it. But when the the way the rule is written, and I cannot read it word for word, but to my understanding of it, is you must attempt every race. If you miss a race, normally it's the medical, from what we've seen. Uh, mm-hmm. And I go back to Matt Kenseth. See, that's one where, when with Ryan Newman's injury, and Matt, uh, I'm sorry, he came back. Okay, I got two. I'm combining two here. Let me gather my thoughts for a second. Take a deep breath. Okay, Kyle <laughs> Larson was suspended after four races. Matt stepped into mm-hmm. that car. He did not attempt every race, but they gave him a waiver because when he stepped in, he did every race from there. I didn't necessarily agree 100% with that one. But if they can race their way in, get a win, be in the top in points, I think he should have been eligible. My issue there was they said it was because that team had already worked for the first four. The the team has a separate owner's championship. So I didn't understand their argument as to why they approved Matt. But – when Matt stepped in at, in race five through the end of the season, he attempted every race. If he could have worked his way in, yes, I think he should have. Uh, I, okay, I'm going to get fired up here. Let me take another deep breath. To me, what you want for by their sta- by their stance on the playoffs is the guys that are, are there every week the best 16 in the case of the Cup Series, 12 in the Xfinity, 10 in the truck, that are going to be the most competitive week in and week out. Would you agree with that, Sharon? That's what their goal is and what they want. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then why on a weekly basis do you sometimes send some of the best cars home because they don't have the opportunity to race their way in? <laughs> That's where I don't like the top 35, 36 locked in I go back to dirt track racing. The fastest cars at that time get to race their way in. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> um, I do think that uh, NASCAR does want the most competitive cars. But uh, 
apparently they've listed that the rule has been this many cars can race, and if more than that many cars show up, if they cannot qualify, then they're not going to be able to go. So I think that's how that all that that's following the rules as it's currently stated too. And I hate to say it that way, but do you not then end up with, I'll say, four to six cars that are locked in and guaranteed to start that maybe aren't the most competitive as those that are being sent home? Well, if they, if well, now they're doing that. Uh, what do they call it? Well, now they're doing more qualifying, so drivers can get on the track, and if their car performs, then they're going to qualify to be in the field. Before, they were doing by the metric uh, system. Right. And that was a whole different uh, ball game. Which, but that which, was taking in consideration the best cars based on the metrics that they have available to them. And if you have not raced uh, and you fall outside of the metrics, then, no, you shouldn't race. <laughs> I understand what you're talking about, the Jordan Anderson thing, and I guess that. And I agree that that was a raw deal for Jordan Anderson. But the way the rule is currently set up, that's the way the marble fell. <laughs> well, and that's what that's why that, that, that top 36 in the metric system and taking away qualifying I didn't like because we have seen it, whether it's Jordan Anderson in the vehicle himself or we've seen Josh Berry as well as I believe Dylan that car is competitive. When they have the opportunity to qualify, they get in the race, and they race. They are not qualify, get lucky, and get in, and then run in the back. That car has been in the top 10, 15. But on on weekends when they can't qualify or don't get the opportunity to, if they aren't within that metric system, like you said, of now they now they have a better chance even when they go to the metrics because of the finishes they have gotten, they are now ranked right. up there as one that's ranked in that metric. So, but how many did he miss to start the season because he couldn't even get the team into that position without having the attempt to qualify and prove it? I just, that, and now when you, you brought that one up as a great one to, to demonstrate with, that is a top, I would say a top 10 team week in and week out for the most part. Again, they, mm-hmm. they always have your off week, but that it's a top 10 team that wasn't being allowed to race. Like you said, they didn't fall into the metrics and they weren't given the opportunity. Uh, so, and, and I, re, I just tried to relate that to the points. I think Grant Enfinger is one of the top 10 in the truck series and he's not being given the opportunity to race. Yeah. Yeah. I, I It's a head scratcher to me at this point and I don't understand it. I thought I had a handle on where NASCAR was coming from, only to be proven wrong by their decision with Michael Annette. So I really don't have an answer for why it is that way. I'm looking for the story on uh, J-Street's where uh, that came up, because that's where they lifted the rule. Do Do you have that? No. I truthfully, I, I had not found it on Jayski. That's why I had gone to Twitter um, with just Bob Pockris's that he had been approved. But no, I had not seen it on Jayski. Okay, well, I was looking for the one where they said 
that Grant Denfinger was not being given the waiver. Oh, going and back. Oh, yeah, we'd have JC. to go back because that was a yeah, – uh, yeah, we might have to go back a few because that was maybe three weeks ago already, two or three weeks ago when that one came because, up. Yeah, because that, uh, that article actually gave the rule – the uh, you know what's listed in the rule book. Do do I'm trying I to do it. Get to. All right, um, Eric Jones talking. Ross Chastain. Yeah, this goes back already before Road America. That one, those are all about Ganassi and the sale of that team. I'm all the way back uh, to May 25th, and I haven't found it yet. Oh, boy, I didn't think it was that far back. Well, like I said, I think we're going to have to readdress this topic anyway when when Mike's available to be on. And my issue is Mike saying that Mike Lynette shouldn't be. By their rules, he should be. I right. think, though, that Grant Enfer also should be. Well, and that's where Mike's saying they shouldn't. Well, I take that I take that back. Based on how he put the message, he's maybe not saying, Mike, I shouldn't have put words in his mouth. Let me apologize, Mike, if you listen to this. <laughs> maybe you weren't saying you were saying it was a joke because they did Michael Annette but not Grant Infinger. So I might be mistaken right. that maybe he is not campaigning Mike out so or Michael Annette. So I will get yeah. that's why I wanted him I here to actually have that I wish yeah, I'm, I'm looking for the. Yeah, I, I would agree with that too. All right, new hot topic for next week. Jayski needs a search bar. <laughs> yeah. It would help us find this article. I know. I know what a lot of what I got based on that the in finger deal was having listened to the pre race and practice. Um, and there, too, my, my stance was your broadcasters, which normally will support, uh, just as we do here at Fan for Racing, give NASCAR the benefit of the doubt. But they were during a, the television broadcast saying, hey, we don't understand why Grant got denied. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I, I had my suspicions of why, uh, but that was proven wrong now, so... Uh, I have to go, I have to agree with everybody else. I don't understand it at this point, and I wish NASCAR would give us a better explanation. All okay, right. I, so have, we're, I have found uh, one article. I have found one article here. I am looking to see if it references. This is on the frontstretch.com uh, by Davy Siegel, and I'm trying to see if it quotes the rule. It talks about Kyle Busch missing 11 in 2015, Ryan Newman and Matt Kenseth missing right. in 2020. Um, Endfinger has not been granted a waiver. I'm not seeing anywhere where it actually lists or quotes the rule. I'm trying to scan all the way through it real quick here. Yeah, I'm not seeing where it actually gives the the rule as it is written um, in that one. That it's just that they denied it, and his dis again his disagreement with it, with whether or not they should have. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I couldn't I couldn't find the uh, 
I couldn't find the actual rule. All right, hold on. Let me see if this one does. NASCAR teams. Oh no, that was that one's an old one. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not finding an article with the actual rule on it. Let me see. Let me try one more here. Beyond the flag. Um, no, none of these am I finding where it says. Show or list what NASCAR rule is. Per their wording, it, it's written in their own word, word of saying that what the how it is played out, but not actually quoting the rule itself. Yeah, none none of them none yeah. of them none of them am I finding the quoted rule itself. But to to paraphrase it and share it, you can correct anything that I may misspeak here. It is that a driver must be in the top. Cup Series is top 30 in points, win a race, or be in the top 16 in points and not have missed a race. If they miss a race, it is NASCAR's discretion as to whether or not to give the uh, waiver. And I believe in there it does say something about the waiver would be granted if it is circumstances outside of their control. And I think maybe it says injury as an example. Mhm. Yeah. See, I'm now that having a hard time that, finding there, it. Yeah. I remember I brought it up during this conversation when it first happened, and I read the rule to everybody uh, who had not seen it, and so that's why I was trying to find it because I know uh, that I here's read a, here's it an during inter- that time. Here's an interesting point, Sharon. Uh, Ryan Newman, I use that one, or Kyle Busch, they were hurt during a NASCAR race. Okay? They're hurt. Mm -hmm. It's outside of their control. Jimmy Johnson uh, broke his arm riding on top of a golf cart. Brad Keselowski twisted or hurt his ankle playing Frisbee golf. Is that an injury that is outside of their control? <laughs> but they were all granted the waiver because That's okay, what I can't I'm just figure not, it out. But I, you know, and I, I'm not. I I think they should have been given the waiver as they were in those cases. But especially from what I heard of Jimmy Johnson's, and he self-admitted he was screwing around. To me, that is within your control. Just as I mentioned Kurt Busch being involved in his situation, that actually is more so in your control than being on the racetrack and accident happens and you follow what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If, if you're in, injured at home, and I know, and I, I, this is within the NFL, I know certain talent, their contracts, normally it's quarterbacks because they're considered the most valuable to a team, aren't allowed to ride motorcycles, for example. Um, who was it? A basketball player. I think it was Charles Barkley that tripped over his dog on the stairs and got hurt. They have certain things in their contracts that they aren't supposed to do outside of uh, True. football. You know, uh, the, And I remember, I think it was Ben Roethlisberger, the quarterback for the 
Pittsburgh Steelers that had the issue because it was a motorcycle injury and he wasn't supposed to be riding a motorcycle, that they felt that just like some cup drivers or teams don't want their drivers driving in cars outside a NASCAR because it puts their primary thing in the situation. And we've, we've defended teams that say don't do that because they're trying to protect their primary interest. But my, my point was that if a, if a person is doing certain things that may be high risk outside of normal life, again, you can't not do anything. We don't expect a driver to sit at home on the couch, you know, when they're not driving a race car because something might happen. And that's why I brought up the one of uh, Charles Barkley, I think it was, that tripped on his dog going down the stairs. Life's going to happen. Uh, and I wasn't trying to say mm-hmm. that was within his control because he shouldn't have had the dog, you know, but how far do you want to push it? You know, like I said, unless you stay and sit on the couch and make sure you're safe, <laughs> what else are you going to do? Exactly. Exactly. And I just think he's going above and beyond in trying to secure the sponsorship he needs to be able to continue to race with CR7. And, you know, kudos to CR7 for working with him too. Um, uh, I, I really think that it's just wrong not to to give the waiver to to one driver and not give it to the other, and especially to a driver who's done everything he possibly can do to be competitive on the track and to keep himself in that top ten in the truck series. So we're at the ten o'clock mark, so it's, uh, Jay, and we're going to have to uh, kind of wrap it up here. All right. But uh, all right. Um, I I uh, I appreciate the conversation. I'm sure we'll revisit it, and maybe in the meantime we can find that uh, wording that we're looking for here, and uh, we can kind of get that out there again. Um, but let's go ahead and do our across the table here. <laughs> oh, across the table. Used across the table. That was a good one tonight. Good job. Uh, <laughs> you follow me on uh, Facebook, Michael Hoosman. And Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And normally talk about what's coming up. Out of a minute, I want to talk about going back Saturday night, Jackson Motor Speedway, your Capital City Raceway, the first annual American Towing Hot Shot uh, event. That's going to be a regular annual thing. And I will say this it did not go as we planned. There were some hiccups and bumps, but we're going to do it again and make improvements. So that just came to my head. I was like, we, we had that. Uh, good race. Uh, okay. A lot of people showed up. Coming, uh, we had drivers from Texas, I think, got the long haul. I, I know he didn't have the best of nights, but I think he'll be back. So I just wanted to throw that in as an example of there were some hiccups. We're going to make it better, but there will be a second and third annual. I promise you that. <laughs> Okay, sounds good. I am Fanfaracing Site on Twitter, Fanfaracing Blog and Radio elsewhere, including Fanfaracing.com. Uh, we do have Sam's uh, recap up on uh, Fanfaracing.com. I've got an article here from uh, Michael that we're going to massage a little bit and hopefully get that out sometime this week. Uh, and it has to do with some of the conversation that we've had here tonight. Um and uh, so watch for that to be coming out. It is a commentary article, uh, and those don't always uh, necessarily reflect the views of vampracing.com, uh, but uh, we like to get uh, different views out there. Um, so with that, uh, a big thank you to all of our listeners. We appreciate you guys for tuning in to hear what we have to say. 
uh, every week, and we're looking forward to coming back and doing this again this coming Thursday when we preview the weekend of racing that's coming up. I did try to get uh, Corey Heim on the show for tonight or even Thursday night, but these guys' schedules are just so darn busy. Uh, it's been a little more difficult to get the drivers on the show. So uh, we'll keep trying, and eventually we'll get somebody who's available to be on the show and, and chat with us. Uh, and we'll keep trying to get Corey Heim. Uh, I really wanted to uh, get his thoughts uh, after the race this weekend at Elko. Uh, but, Sharon? Uh, yeah. How did we not get to that as one of the hot topics? I think that was the first one I put up. We didn't even get that far back to Friday night because we were in Knoxville. Yes, I we're going to have to make sure. Tune in Thursday night, hot topics, because that will be the first one up. <laughs> Yeah, that was a good one, uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to that conversation. Uh, but, yeah, uh, uh, definitely we'll continue to try to see if we can't get Corey Hunt back on the show. So with that, uh, Jay, I think we're ready to call it the night and say good night to everybody, and uh, we'll see you on Thursday. Uh, now you're going to make me wait till Thursday. That's, we didn't even get to that. I cannot believe that because, like I said, I think I that know. was one of the first ones I put up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I well, I had that on just, my list too. Just think about this. I got until Thursday to build that up because that was definitely one I wanted to speak <laughs> on. So look out on Thursday. Okay. Definitely uh, will. So good night, everybody. Have a good night. We'll see you on Thursday. What is the best university ever? Welcome to Iowa, where you can write your own story. Choose from over 200 areas of study, including a dozen programs ranked in the top 10. Roll up your sleeves and try something new. You never know where it might take you. This story is written, directed, and produced by you. Learn more at uiowa.edu. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.